mean, I've cried so much in the past two weeks. I don't even know if I have any more tears left, but the ultimate gift of the quest was presence that I'm loved, I'm supported, I'm on the right path. That was the ultimate gift of the quest. No matter what transpires in my life, I have truly everything that I don't need to be perfect. In this special bonus quadcast episode, I sat down with my friends Dr. John Lawrence, Josh Trent, and our host Cal Callahan for an in-depth and often hilarious chat about love, sex, death, natural healing, non-duality, rites of passage, and the future of medicine. This one came to be due to the fact that Cal pulled us all together for what was intended to be and might still become a supergroup episode of sorts for his podcast, The Great Unlearn. And this ended up being such a wild ride of a chat that I elected to publish it here on The Lifestylist as well. The response to the social media live streams while this was recorded was overwhelmingly enthusiastic, so my hunch is that it will be met with the same appreciation here. I should also add that this is definitely an adult conversation, so if you have little ones nearby, now would be a good time to throw on those earmuffs. But before we kick this off, I'd like to invite you to Dr. Matt Cook's upcoming Peptide Summit at lukestory.com slash Peptide Summit. So if you're curious about peptides, this is for you. I'm featured in the summit along with my friends Ben Greenfield, Chris Shade, and tons of other leading experts in the innovative field of peptides. So you definitely want to check that out. Again, the link is lukestory.com slash Peptide Summit. And finally, make sure to tune in next Tuesday for episode number 409, The Science of Sun, Blue Light, Flicker, and Photon Sauna Therapy with Brian Richards of Sauna Space. Brian dropped everything you could ever want to know about hacking your home and technology lighting and some very powerful information on sauna therapy as well. So that's next Tuesday with number 409. Now it's time to drop into this energy vortex with my cosmic crew, John Lawrence, Josh Trent, and Cal Callahan for a chat about, well, just about everything. Enjoy the show and please share it with some friends. So there's a lot of different ways to go with this. And we had kind of uh, toyed around with the idea of like asking each other questions. And I think that's definitely a part of this. I want this thing to be free flowing, but there are things that, that I'm curious about with each of you that I would love to hopefully get into. And if we don't, I'm okay with that too. Mm -hmm. So there's not really going to be a particular format. Uh, I think what's top of mind for me right now, uh, the timing of this, when Josh came on my podcast the first time, he had just come back from a vision quest. And as it turns out, he just came back from another vision quest. So I would love for you to just drop in with how it was maybe different. Uh, you probably had, I'm guessing some expectations cause you have some experience there and really like, what did you, what did you pull from it? Wow. Well, yeah. in exactly that order. I want right. to hold me to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just start here, you know, for, for people that don't know what a vision quest is, um, it was done in the native American tradition, but it wasn't a full blown native American quest. When you do a native American quest, you basically have a blanket and water and that's all you have. So I got like the Americanized version, but dude, it was just as potent. Um, did you have trail mix? No trail mix. <laughs> I'm out. Did you guys used to call that gorp back in the day? Yeah. Good you know, old gorp. raisins and peanuts. And, and I used to pick all the M&Ms out and eat those first and then suffer for the next three days. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. You you would need some extra support on the quest then. There's no trail mix. Um, yeah. So it's, it's three days of ego stripping. And so we've all done emotional work, but at the core of it, it's what are you, what are you withholding? You know, what are you withholding from yourself? What are you withholding from your partner? And what are you withholding from God? Mm. And so three days of that, uh, Tim Corcoran, Mark Tolofson, an intro from Aubrey Marcus, who's a friend of all of ours. And um, this second year was potent because I actually got a really wicked sinus infection, like right before I left. So the quest is 10 days long. Before you do the three days, there's a lot of prep work you do. And then after the three days, there's four days in nature. And all you get is a sleeping bag, a pad, and a tarp and water. That's it. Nothing else. No distractions, nothing. And then after you get back, there's three more days of unpacking what nature showed you, essentially what you learned from God. And um, so the quest for me started a week before. So I feel like I did a fucking three week vision quest. That's what it felt like. And I went out there and the night before I left, there was this like ambiguity of, am I even going to go do this quest? Because it's very physically and emotionally demanding. Mm -hmm. And so the night before I got on the phone with Tim and I was like, I have a pounding headache. I know the quest is very physical. Should I even go? And we prayed and I cried and I said, I'm going. Because the best thing I could ever do for an infection is fast. Mm. It's the best thing I could ever do. So I get out there, I'm going through my journal and I'm, I'm thinking about like, what am I really withholding? And it is this addiction to stress. I have been mm-hmm. addicted to stress for a long time. Just this, you know, Dispenza calls it like the roller coaster and all these neurons that, that fire together, wire together. And so that's what I share with the group, you know, mm-hmm. in the ego, in the ego destruction phase. And I get out to the site on the first day and there was just this incredible peace that I really can't describe. I can, I can feel it right now looking at all the beautiful trees in your, in your yard. And uh, I just asked God, like, you know, please relieve the stress, this addiction to stress that I have. And I looked down within an hour or two of actually being out there and there was this rock that was just staring me in the face and the rock I have it at my house. It was shaped like a pentagon. And I've, for a long time, I've been learning and teaching about wellness as physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, but I had been neglecting financial. I really, there was this deep money wound in my family lineage about like money is bad. Money's the root of all evil, just insanity around money that fuck, how many people can identify with this? And by the way, you and I had a conversation about that before you left. Before I left. At Sun Life. At Sun Life. Wow. So I, I, I picked up this rock and I just, I just started crying. Because that was literally God showing me like, this is all you need to focus on. Just focus on these five things. I changed everything on my website. I I changed the name of my podcast before I went out there to wisdom. And um, it was, it was emotional. And I, I had this conversation with my grandfather that, um, that just cracked me in half. He's been gone since 2002. And I just, um, I just wept because he left my mom money. My mom's manic bipolar. So he left my mom some money. And I just thought, you know, what a gift for him to, uh, for him to care so much about my brother and I, that, that he would take care of my mom. So we didn't have to carry her burden. And I was just, I was just fucking washed with gratitude. You know, I really, it was a very special, very special moment. Mm -hmm. So I started to go into the actual fast. And I'm sure you guys know when you fast, your heart rate elevates at night. So I was laying in the sleeping bag and I could see the sleeping bag moving by the third night, no matter what breath work I did, 
no matter how much meditation I did, like my heart was just pounding. And on the very last night, I just said, fuck it. I just ripped everything down. <laughs> and I just said, I, I screamed. I was like, I got naked. And I was like, I will not live my life in fear anymore. No more fear in my life. I took down the tarp and I just slept the last night out under the stars. And the very last night of a vision quest feels like a fucking week because it's just, it's your fourth day of no food. It's just been you, your thoughts and your breath for four days now. It's a hundred hour plus fast. And um, a couple hours before the sun came up, I was just, I was just started crying and I didn't even know why I was crying. And this is the magic of the quest is that you will release a lot of stored emotions that you didn't know you had and you won't have a definition for it. It's fucking mysterious. It's very potent. Mm. And I, um, I just realized that like, before I go on podcasts or before I speak or whatever it is, I have this tension in my body and I, I don't know exactly where it comes from. It's like this fear of not being perfect. And I just prayed to God. I was like, God, take away this quest for perfection that I have because it's not loving. It's not really who I am. And as the sun finally came up, I, I cleaned up my site and I, I went back and there's a threshold and they cleanse you and, and they put all this smoke on your body. And I just held Tim and I cried. And it was like, it was like a 50 pound weight vest had been removed from my body. And, um, and then we spent the next three days sharing about that. And so, yeah, when I came home, I, I just really, I felt like an ease to myself but I was met with an immediate test of modernity. Like, and you know this, I don't know if anybody's ever done like a Tony Robbins or any Joe Dispenza, like whatever, whatever wisdom you learn, you will be ultimately tested when you return back home. And that's what it was. It was the ultimate test of like patience and business and, and conflict with my woman and, and just in a lot of, a lot of really hard things to deal with. But I'm proud of myself because I have this, this bedrock of peace where I recognize what I had created as a dynamic in my relationship. I had created with my addiction to stress, the way that I communicate with my woman from that same addiction. And so the road ahead looks like if I want wisdom, I have to be prepared that God gives me certain challenges so that I actually fucking embody that wisdom. And so, I mean, I've cried so much in the past two weeks. I don't even know if I have any more tears left, but the ultimate gift of the quest was presence that I'm loved, I'm supported, I'm on the right path. That was the ultimate gift of the quest. No matter what transpires in my life, I have truly everything that I need. I don't need to be perfect. Mm. And then many things have unfolded since then, but um, that was like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and they say when you come home from a quest, like it'll unfold for a year or more. And, and that's what it feels like is going to happen over this next year. Thank you for sharing that. What, what, what are you withholding from Carrie? We went through a lot of birth trauma. My son, uh, we spent 10 days in the NICU. And so there's still, there's still healing that we have to have as a couple around that birth trauma. I mean, I, I, I can't really share too deep no, out of no, respect no, to her, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> you put your finger right on it, right? Like that's, it was, yeah. it was birth trauma. And, um, and also look like we all have capital T lowercase T trauma. That's either felt or let go of. And, and the very last thing I'll share is this. I, I, I wrote a poem to myself 
that truly was an upload. I, we have all these spiritual people that say, I got a cosmic download. And I'm like, that's how I know you're full of shit. Because <laughs> you say the word cosmic download, but I, I got this upload from the earth. And, and the upload was, I, I picked up this handful of pebbles and I just, I made this clear connection. I thought, okay, every single pebble that, that is all around my feet and that I hold in my hands, every single pebble represents a time that I've chosen to close my heart every single time. And there's an uncountable amount of them. And so my job is to literally hold each pebble, put it against my heart, let each pebble melt through me and actually feel whatever trauma I've occurred. And it could be anything. We're traumatized by the media. We're traumatized by parents. God bless them. They do everything they can. We are so traumatized as human beings and we're either looking at it or we're not looking at it. And I just felt like, okay, for the rest of my life, like as long as I am doing the honor of actually taking each pebble one at a time, putting it into my heart, doing the work to feel that pebble, let it melt through. Then at some point in my life, I'm going to have a, a more open degree of my heart. And that to me was like the ultimate medicine because I, I think I wrote down on the journal, which by the way, the journal was lost three days ago. So how's that for the ultimate fucking lesson in non-attachment? But on the journal I wrote, as long as I have pebbles in my hands and pebbles at my feet, I'm on the right path. As long as I'm actually looking at the pebbles that I hold on to that are at my feet, then I'm doing the best that I can to be a fully, fully embodied man. Beautiful. And, and just like last time, I'm, I'm, and I would say even more so this time, I'm, I'm totally inspired to have this experience. And so what would you, like, how do you prepare for something like this, like the four day fast or I don't think anybody can fully prepare for a four day fast other than just fasting, you know, like maybe a one or two day fast, but you're going to meet parts of yourself. Cause you know, when, when the cells have nothing, when there's no glycogen, when the liver is empty, whatever is being withheld, like in a breathwork ceremony or a psychedelic ceremony, it's the same kind of uh, dieta that people do when they prep for, for plant medicine, whatever's there without distraction of food or stimulus or TV or media, it's going to come up. So I would say float tanks, Vipassana, loving kindness, meditation, breath work. Like before you do a, a deep quest or a deep fast like that, you need to like truly prepare yourself on a mental, spiritual, emotional level. Um, so I would say all of those things that I mentioned and also be in tune with the mystery, you know, be in tune with the mystery because mystery is going to come and serve you and you have to be okay with completely not knowing what's going on. I think by now most of us know that minerals are important, but it's really tough to know which minerals to take without knowing what you need. And mineral imbalance is a huge issue, so guesswork is pretty sketchy. Wouldn't it be great to know not only what minerals you need and which mineral levels are too high? Well, I recently found a very cool way to accurately test all of that and take the guesswork and wasted supplement spending out of the equation. I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test, and consultation. It's really fast and easy to do. You just cut a couple small hair samples, mail it in, and then book your consultation, during which one of their expert staff explains your mineral levels and even your heavy metal toxicity. We just sent in my wife Allison's test and got some good and not so good news. She was luckily very low in lead and mercury, which is awesome, but we also found high aluminum, which is less than ideal. Luckily, her mineral levels look super solid overall, but her magnesium levels were a bit high and her selenium a bit low. 
So with that accurate information at hand, we did a heavy metals detox protocol to get that aluminum down and also determined that she does not need to supplement magnesium for the time being, but that it would do her some good to up her selenium intake. And not only does upgraded formulas have you covered on the test and consultation, but they also happen to make the best absorbed nano minerals I've ever found. Getting your minerals right can sort out hidden deficiencies that are affecting thyroid, adrenal, and many other systems in your body. So I highly recommend you check out the test and consultation at UpgradedFormulas.com. Now you can also save 15% off your first purchase by using the code Luke at checkout. That link again is UpgradedFormulas.com. John, talk a little bit more about fasting. Give us a, like a little more of like the science behind it. And, and you have some amazing protocols that might have been for that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so beautiful story, you know, and, uh, one of the things that is kind of coming to me is that you're, you're taking time enough time to process all that and take it all the way through to a level that you, you wouldn't normally be able to do. And, you know, a situation with normal everyday life, like I, everything that you talked about, most of which I've touched on to some degree myself at some point. Right. But to put it all together and then to be able to integrate it. Right. So like you go and do plant medicine or a psychedelic experience and, and then a lot of people begin to start to integrate this over, you know, usually long periods of time, but you're able to just compress all that into uh, I mean, I think it's beautiful. I've never, I've not done one. I'd like to, um, it is a big commitment and, um, I, I can, I can see the preparation as being, um, super important because, you know, it kind of goes in lines with this whole idea I have about the three-legged stool. I know you and I talked about it on the podcast. I think Luke, we talked, I, I probably talked about it on, on the one we did as well, Cal, but it's, it's, it's this idea of the vitality of the body, uh, the mastering of the mind right? And within that, I talk about forgiving those filters that we filter life through and then the direct experience of God, right? And so within that, that leg of the stool with vitality of the body, to be able to improve that, that vitality of the body, you're going to be happier. You're going to be able to process information. There's going to be parts of your brain that's going to be able to communicate with each other, right? You're going to be able to make sense of things. You're going to be able to, um, have a more powerful um, divine direction uh, uh, connection to, you know, to the divine. So everything is going to work better. And I think that when you talk to these really, you know, these, these ascended masters, you know, they, they will say, oh, well, once you get to a certain level, there's not as much of that that's necessary. Right. But I think for most of us, when we first start out on this journey, getting the vitality of the body is, is super important and particularly the vitality of the brain and the nervous system. So fasting is one of the things that, um, that we did when we were, you know, a thousand years ago, or, you know, it's like we were hunters, we would hunt and we would be starving. Like, were we like full, a belly full of pizza when we were hunting for food back when we were cavemen? <laughs> hence, hence, <laughs> hence the elevated heart rate, right? It's almost like nature telling us go eat. Yeah. 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 So, so it's the ketones that are, um, that are produced. That's a, that's an alternative form of energy that are way more, um, 
of, of, of an advanced fuel source for the brain. So if the brain is able to run on ketones, it's going to be a lot more efficient than if it were to be running on, you know, oxygen and I'm sorry, glucose. And so, you know, that would be carbohydrates and, and such. So becoming fat adapted is the idea of starting to, um, do, um, fasting. So you can intermittent fast where you can restrict your feeding window. Um, you can start doing in our clinic. We often will have people do a 24 hour fast once a week. One thing that we're doing new that seems to be, um, really easy for a lot of people to execute is just one moderate meal a day for two straight days once a week. Right. And it's a lot, it's, it's fairly easy for people to kind of wrap their head around it and, Mm. and to actually do. But the point is, is that you're, you're giving yourself a lot more time to, um, go into that default of, 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 of extracting ketones from fat and protein. Quick question. What, in, in your opinion, 24 hour fast, what things break the fast or what things can you consume that you would say, ah, it doesn't really break the fast. Well, so there's two considerations with fasting. One is, um, that you're in ketosis and the other one is concerning something called autophagy which is this cell, this cleaning recycling mechanism. So if you were to say fast and then you were to take some proteins in, you're still going to be in ketosis. Or if you were to eat some, some fat, you're still going to be in ketosis likely. Um, but you, you might not be um, heavy into what's called autophagy. So the, both of those are actually really important and it's a, and it's an important part of why you want to fast. Um, some people want to do it to do, to lose weight, right? So if, if you think about getting your body wanting to utilize ketones where ketones are stored in fat. So like, that's going to be an area that, you know, where the, the body's going to start looking at its fat storage as a, a viable s- source of fuel. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, I think for, for anybody doing any spiritual work, I think just the idea of really efficiently, um, taking energy as a fuel source from ketones is a big key component. One other little hack that I've been working, working with at the clinic that, um, that seems to be working really well is taking exogenous ketones for a week or two and, and just doing everything the same, right? They're just keeping their diet the same. Do you have a, do you have a brand that you like? Um, there's a lot of different brands, right? Um, I, I don't think it really matters. I think that there's some that might be better than others. Um, but there's a lot, even just on Amazon, you know, um, I've used the HV M N I think it's called, this kind of looks like it says human anyway, seems that's to like a ketone like ester. Shit, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, ketone esters are going to be a lot more expensive. They are going to work a little bit better. Um, the, um, the ketone salts, you know, they're less expensive, but the point is, is that you want to train your body to see ketones as energy. And so this is like a hurdle that a lot of people have a hard time getting through, which makes the fasting so difficult. So by just taking exogenous ketones at any point during the day, you know, you take it a couple times a day, you're going to start training the body to see ketones as, as energy. And then when you start dipping into longer fasting zones, I found our, my patients are a lot, you know, it's a lot easier for them. Mm, I never considered that. Uh, one other important question for, for a lot of the listeners out there, does feel free break the fast? Please say no. No. <laughs> I don't know. Not if that's at all. True. There's very little carbohydrates in it. It's like five K 
calories. So, okay. Yeah. Great. No, I, I think it's a safe fasting product. And, you know, um, the, the, the kratom that's one of the ingredients in there actually suppresses appetite. So can actually be somewhat helpful to fasting. It completely suppresses appetite. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, we don't really kind of market it that way. Cause I guess there's some, some, it, we don't necessarily want to be out there as like a fucking appetite suppressant. Yeah. Well, you can't make claims either. And you can't I, make I, claims. I can say it cause I don't have any interest in the company yeah. except for, I like to use the product. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it can be a great um, crutch uh, to get through fasting. Um, and partner, let's call it a partner. Crutch feels like that. Word. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's partner. It can be, it can be a good partner support. Yeah. There system. you go. You're yeah. Talking. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Luke, been quiet over there. We haven't, we haven't really involved you in the conversation. I know you're taking it all in. This is the quietest I've ever been on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How does it feel? It's nice. Actually, I'm over here just kind of fucking around, you know, I'm like <laughs> petting the dog. Got my, uh, what do you call this? Vol- living volcano. You get a bag. Got bag. Yeah, I can get a bag. Got my bag. Got get my feel bag. free. No, I'm, I'm just <laughs> enjoying listening. What do I have to say about any of that? I have to say something on the note of fasting that I found interesting. There was a, a point many years ago when I first discovered Bulletproof Coffee. The coffee used to make me super kind of edgy and I didn't really like it. And then I heard Dave Asprey talking about putting the grass-fed butter and MCT in your coffee. So I started doing that every morning. And I was really excited because I didn't feel like eating for a long time. I mean, like three o'clock in the afternoon, everyone in the office would be like, we're going to order lunch. When's lunch? When's I'm like, why is everyone so food obsessed? It just crushed my appetite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It started annoying me that people ate, you know what I mean? I'm like irritated. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Just have a coffee. But anyway, all these years later, um, I, you know, I'm always trying to find kind of homeostasis and I do different experiments. I get a bit extreme, uh, when I do so just kind of push the edges but I really find these days I do much better if I eat breakfast and then I have a coffee. In other words, like I didn't realize because of that intermittent fasting that I was doing with that coffee that I had much more anxiety. It was way edgier for years without even realizing it. I think it was Jack Cruz I heard talking about a guy that I've interviewed a few times talking about like how idiotic it is to not eat breakfast and especially to drink coffee on an empty stomach. I forget why, but I started trying it out. So now lately, um, I'm, I'm kind of more doing a fasting window just from after dinner until the next morning. I feel a lot better. And then I you know, wake up and I'll do a few chunks of raw beef liver. Uh, and I'll do like an aloe vera juice and sea salt chaser, kind of a quasi um, adrenal cocktail, put a little um, maple syrup in there, a bunch of different protein powders and all that and not the liver i do the liver just like shooting back an oyster but uh Mm. have a really fatty high protein smoothie and then i'll drink a bulletproof coffee out of that and i feel amazing Mm -hmm. so i think you know every person is so different in terms of your eating windows and what feels good for you and um and also at different stages in your life i'm a few years older now and i just find like god i just feel so much more relaxed when i just get a lot of nutrition right when i wake up so I usually wake up and um, sun gaze, I watch the sunrise. And then right after that, um, you know, I'm eating kind of all day, but yet I'm still not that hungry because I'm getting so many calories, I think, and so much fat in the morning, whether it's in the smoothie, a couple of raw egg yolks I put in there too. So I'm just going for like high nutritional density. And then, uh, and then at night, 
you know, it's easy to kind of taper off eating. So that's my current thing. What, but what, I do see yeah, value in like what, what these guys are describing and, you know, having dedicated times where you're totally fasting yeah. on mm-hmm. purpose, especially in a, in a dieta kind of situation. So like for like a spiritual reason, I think it's amazing. Yeah. But so, I want to, I want to piggyback on what you said, because yeah. I, I heard from Krista Arecchio and I've heard from a lot of people that, that when you challenge the nervous system with caffeine, depending on the health of your adrenal glands, and that can vary at certain times in our life. Intermittent fasting might actually be hell for you. It might actually mm-hmm. raise your cortisol. It might actually have you gain more weight. I think that's what was happening. Well, and I've also just had a lot more stress in my life over the past year than I than I have previously, or a different type of it. Maybe a more consistent stress. <laughs> you, had, there was like, you had a steady drift, dude. There was yeah. like stressful events in life yeah. prior to moving to Texas, but after I moved here and thought I was going to renovate a house in three or four months. Um, which is now like 14 months, you know, there's like a steady drip of cortisol. So yeah, the yeah. fasting, I'm like, it doesn't work with my current lifestyle. But I also wanted to quickly piggyback on the, the vision quest. You know, I was thinking about your experience. And um, when I was 14, I was having a lot of problems with drugs and police. They often go together. And so I was uh, sent away to this therapeutic boarding school. And uh, this was, I guess they still exist actually, but this is... Um, early nineties and I got sent to this school and I've been looking into it recently because I'm in the process of writing a book and I want to include some of the things that I went through. And now this school, uh, it was called Rocky mountain Academy in in Northern Idaho. And it was the sister school to a school called Sidhu. And I didn't know it at the time, but they're, they were basically cults and they came out of a a literal cult. One of the most dangerous cults in American history called Synanon, which was um, like a drug treatment program who were involved in all of these heinous crimes and some of the people defected from that and formed this boarding school. So I'm sort of unpacking if I have Stockholm syndrome, because <laughs> I, I think it was a largely positive experience for me. But now that I'm, I'm studying more about these schools and some of the things that they did, um, there was definitely a lot of like brainwashing and mind control and different oddities that took place. And I think it was probably more traumatizing than I realized because people other than myself, don't consider themselves graduates or alumni. They call themselves survivors. <laughs> mm. So I'm looking into all that. Yeah, it's it's wild shit. There's a bunch of podcasts about it. I mean, it's a whole thing about these, this school that I went to. But the point I'm getting to is one of the things we did was a vision quest. Mm. I would have been about 15 at the time. And um, it was like a wilderness survival thing. And they called it a solo. And so you'd hike up into the mountains with a 60 pound pack, which was a lot for a scrawny little 15 year old like me. And it was arduous. You're on snowshoes, you know, you're not like, can't walk up there. You need snowshoes. The snow's so deep. And we spent three days alone in a, uh, a snow cave. So we built a, a cave in the snow with a tarp. And I think we did have some food. We had a little sterno and then like a can of beans and some, some trail mix. Yeah. Some trail mix that I ate all the M&Ms out of the first <laughs> night. <you know? laughs> but it, 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 was one of the more positive experiences there. And I was totally unconscious of some of the things you described, I think just due to my level of maturity and understanding, but it was immensely character building in terms of like building self-esteem and just self-reliance and, and that, you know, underlying fear of death and abandonment and all of those things that go hand in hand with being alone. And I, I think I definitely walked away as a stronger person, a stronger kid, you know, just from being out there and being afraid and working my way through it, hearing strange noises at night. And, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing to be out 
alone in nature. But now when I look at it, it's interesting to see how disconnected we are as a society that just going out in nature is scary. Isn't that weird? Right? Like I've talked to my dad, who's a, you know, lived his whole life in Colorado hunting and fishing and stuff. And, and he used to do these long treks, you know, for a couple of weeks, just by himself out hunting on a horse or whatever. And, and I've asked him on a couple of occasions, like, if you just go out into the forest alone and just spend the night by yourself, are you scared? And he looks at me like, what? Like, what do you, what do you mean? He doesn't even relate to being afraid because he's just lived his whole life in the outback. Mm. You take a city kid like me, 32 years in Los Angeles. I mean, even now, if I'm on someone's property that's outside of town and it's dark and I got to go take a piss in their yard and I hear a little noise, I think like, I don't know what's going to get me, right? Watching horror movies when you're a kid, like Friday the 13th, these type of movies, mm-hmm. you know, where like you're, you're at a cabin in the woods and there's murderers out there watching you. And <laughs> if you step outside, the bears are going to kill you. It's just so strange that. It's so terrifying for us to A, be alone and be in nature where it's probably safer, statistically speaking, than being in New York City on any given day or night, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm encouraged by your, your story and kind of going back to that time in my life. And I would like to do something like that too, you know, to, to be able to acclimate myself into being a natural human being that's integrated into the natural environment. Dude, you know what comes up for me there is this, this phrase, rite of passage. I don't know for the two of you guys, it sounds like you went through a huge one, but rite of passages are just simply missing from modern culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at King Warrior Magician Lover, you know, Green and Gillette talk about this where like, there's really no ceremony for uh, 13 through 18 year old young men or young women. It just like doesn't exist, you know? And so the sadness around that for me is like, we're in a society that's so connected. We have all these trappings, all this digital tech where we're quote connected but no, it really makes me sad that no young man is being put through an ordeal. Like the hero's journey starts at some kind of tertiary point later on where they get a job and they learn how to pay bills and all this stuff, but there's no understanding of nature. There's no understanding of who they are in that self-reliance. It just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and it's definitely a, a loving call to arms for us, especially with what's coming in the world right now with food and with potential future lockdowns and all this bullshit that we all take it upon ourselves to go through a active rite of passage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's missing. I, I know you're a father and, and maybe your sons have done that in some way, but holy shit, are we just looking at a cavern of space that's missing? You know, the rite of passage is gone. So I think beyond just the spiritual benefits of, of doing a quest and your deal of being on the mountain, you guys, like we really have to take a high level look at our society and go, where are the rites of passages for young men and young women? Because they're going to grow up traumatized. And then you have like the Donald Trumps and the Joseph Bidens running the country. And they've never themselves actually looked at their own self-reliance. They're just in a system that feeds them whatever they want to hear. And, and that's the danger of, of unintegrated men and women and men and women that have not been through this ultimate rite of passage. It's super necessary. I think it's a beautiful insight. And what comes up for me is this whole dynamic between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, right? And the, the insights that you got on your, on your vision quest was, you know, I'm so adrenalized all the time and I'm like kind of addicted to that dopamine rush, that adrenaline rush. And, you know, you're not alone. I mean, this is like, I think 
the problem of modern it's the know, modern day civilization. sickness and and it's it's almost getting the balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic you look at a lot of kids they're they're all adrenalized right and as we get older i think we get more um, comfortable with being quiet and calm and what comes with that is the the insights of you know you know what's in a still mind right it's like the the stuff that's actually there right versus like just covering it up and and focused on all of these other things it's like joe dispenza talks about that that high beta you know it's that brain that is focused on a single point you know and you're it allows us to get stuff done right yeah. we're, we're focused on doing that we're focused on doing this versus this idea of this broad focus right we're focused on you know, the space around our body. If you've ever been to a Joe Dispenza seminar, he talks about, you know, imagine the vast space around your body and you're, you're diverting that attention instead of being at a, a point, it's broad. And I can just imagine being out there in the forest and just, you know, getting quiet and, and, and it becoming a broad, you know, like letting everything in, right? And, and it's that, it's that deep dive into the parasympathetic nervous system that is so needed. And I love that. Yeah, I do too. And that's something that I've been tracking, I'd say in the last, whatever year is, is really pulling away from that single point focus, trying to be present with what is, and just see what is coming into the field. Right. And really like with the idea of having to get things done, like having an aim and just going in a direction with your head up and paying attention versus, I mean, it, there are times when you have to put your head down and, and, and focus in, mm -hmm. but unfortunately that is really held in high regard in our society. And I think we miss so much of, of what is there to support us on wherever we're trying to go. And I think sometimes we think we really know where we're going and we don't. And if we can just like head in the right direction and just see who comes into your, you know, into your space and the things that are going to be there when we're paying attention, but you know, we're trusting in the process, right? We're, tr we're trusting versus the fear. Fear has got the cortisol. It's got the adrenaline, right? Where the trust and just being in process, not, necessarily knowing exactly where things are going to land, but trusting that you're going to be okay. Right. And, and, and that, that's, you know, that's an important spiritual evolution for me anyway, was just getting to the point where, you know, like, I remember there's a song that was like, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, and this was early in my, in my, my evolution. I remember hearing that song and it was, it just resonated with me. It's like, okay, you know, I don't have to be in control here. I can just let things unfold and everything works out. Mm, being on the jet, just like, like being on the journey mm -hmm. like where it's not about that, that destination. It's about, because when we get there, we've all experienced it. When we get there, it's like, fuck, that's it. Now what? So we kind of, we kind of miss everything that happens along that journey when we have that singular focus, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. I had something come up real, really fast around fear we've heard, you know, forget everything and run. And on the quest, I had something that I wrote down in my journal that I'm practicing non-attachment to because I lost my journal. But, <laughs> but, but in my journal, I wrote fear is for everyone's attention responsibly. For everyone's attention responsibly. Because there's irrational fear where I'm like, oh my God, Luke hates me. <laughs> 
It's like, no, he doesn't. Or, or there's like, oh, I'm about to fall off a cliff. That's rational fear. Mm-hmm. So it's not forget everything and run. It's, it's for everyone's attention, comma, responsibly. Mm. That's really what fear is. That's something that came through for me there. Cause man, does my brain take me to places sometimes where I'm like, dude, what are you saying to yourself right now? <laughs> like, what, uh, what is this? Is like this responsible sto- focus. Yeah. Is this story yeah. real? And then I connect the dots back to my own trauma with my father and my mother and my upbringing and being overweight and being bullied. Like there really is a lifetime of work to be done responsibly, lovingly when it comes to fear. Mm. I got a, a cool piece on fear that came to me. I used to do all these word studies on principles like positive attributes, negative attributes are ones that we perceive to be negative. So I was really diving into fear. And I noticed that so many people use the words fear and anxiety interchangeably. And so I thought, well, why does there need to be two words? Is there a difference? And then started looking into it, like, because I, I used to say, especially when I when I first got sober, I was just consumed with fear. But as I started to unpack it, And this helps me to be able to kind of define that is fear is when a wolf walks through the door and your life's in danger, totally natural, healthy response to be in fear and to get away. Anxiety is you're sitting here, there's no wolf on the property and you're obsessively thinking about what if a wolf walks through the door right now? And so fear is, is in its truest sense for me is something that's immediate and, um, and righteous and appropriate. Of course, the response to it matters, but anxiety is imaginary and always future-based. If I have an underlying sense of anxiety, say, what's wrong, man? You're uptight. I'm like, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm worried about the thing. It's not fear per se. It's really just, just anxious energy about something that has no basis in reality. And so I've given myself kind of a pass when it comes to fear because it's, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. right? If, if there's a car coming and you're about to get hit, like you need fear. So it's not like, oh, if I evolve enough, I'm never going to experience fear. Then it becomes like, how can I really work on uprooting that anxiety and how much kind of, as John was saying, that open awareness can I have that keeps me grounded in this slice of a moment that we perceive to be a now. And then if I'm watching my awareness and my attention and consciousness drift into something that might happen, Oh, boom. There's a label for that. It's anxiety. I'm fantasizing about something that's not actually happening. When I like that, that mm-hmm. word fantasizing, and it just brings up this past week and I was, I was away on a trip with some of my buddies and one of my buddies and you nailed it. It's like, he just has anxiety about shit that it's like looking at all the possibilities and just really honing in on the ones that have negative consequences. And his kids are four and one. And he's like, well, Cal, what happens when you're talking about teenage shit? It's like, dude, what? Like, why are you even considering that right now? You have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, like just be in that, you know, that part of that, that journey without, I mean, that's, that's, that's been his, unfortunately has been his orientation. And it's like, how do you, you know, and, and I've reflected that back to him a number of times, but how do you move someone through something like that? I mean, I think bringing that up as, look, this is just anxiety, fantasizing about some shit in the future that probably has a really low likelihood of happening. But what would you say to someone that that is your orientation in life is to look for all the bad shit that can happen versus 
staying on the positive and everything that's going well and paying attention to the things that are coming in. Like, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. To me, it's a matter of mind training and discipline because there's a difference in planning for the future and anxiety, right? Anxiety is when I'm projecting my emotional state into a fantastic future. Whereas planning is actually taking time set aside in this moment now with absolute presence to consider the variables that are possible in the future, even though it's unknown, right? So like in that scenario, to me, a plan would be like, hey, I'm going to talk to a dad with teenagers and I'm going to say, hey, you know, what do you do when this or that happens when they're 13, 14, 16? But that's different. That's planning and sort of just building an awareness and perhaps educating oneself versus being in a constricted, sympathetic anxiety about the future, right? It's like humankind doesn't progress unless we are forward thinking. We have to plan and think about the future and, and envision. But it's like, am I, is my consciousness being taken into that future or am I able to stay here in my body in this moment and contemplate the future? Contemplation versus complete abandon into something that is not mm. real, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he listens to this podcast. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of this <laughs> idea around, oh, you just have to be in the now, be in the now. Well, yeah. that's, that's great. But you also have to envision what you want in the future, right? So for me, like, and I'm only speaking for myself and my own internal practice, there's an emotional sense when I start to feel the tension in my body grow, it means that my consciousness is leaving this moment now because it's living emotionally in a perceived future versus me being grounded in this moment and going, Hey, I want to, I want to look into the possibilities and set my rudder in the direction of the, you know, the, um, the direction in which I head, right. Or that I desire to head. So it's like, it's kind of just that present moment awareness for me and how I know where I am is what's going on in my body. If I'm not breathing, for example, I notice this a lot. I'll be driving around. I'm like, oh, I'm not breathing at all, <laughs> you know, because I've left my body. Yeah. I'm, I'm projecting. I'm not yeah. planning. I'm, mm. I'm worried about something or obsessing about something that hasn't yet happened. Trying to unpack all of these variables instead of really just taking conscious time where I'm setting the intention to sit, be with myself, feel whatever's coming up and plan for the future, envision the future without actually being taken there. So it's like, not being in that present moment, but preparing for it and then letting it go. You know, that, that's of course the hard part, right? Is how do you, how do you not completely get lost in all of these scenarios that you create in your mind? The only way to do that for me is to have a separation between the observer of what I'm thinking about Hmm. and planning versus being in it. Right. It's like watching the mind versus being the mind. Mm -hmm. And that, isn't something that most of us can just do on demand. That's where meditation and you mentioned yeah. float tanks, it's building a practice of, of otherness awareness, right. Of the observer so that you're not just completely um, a victim of where your mind wants to drive mm. you. Right. It's like getting in the driver's seat, having a partnership with the brain, with the mind and all of its brilliant thinking, but not allowing it to be the boss. All right, you guys, let's give some love to one of my all-time favorite products, the Old School Organifi Green Juice. If you want to get 12 superfoods packed with vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants into your body without spending $10 to $15 on a bottled juice, this stuff is the answer. 
Now I'm going to be real. I'm not a big salad or even vegetable guy, but I have always been a fan of green juice. However, green juice has some issues apart from the crazy high cost of organic fresh pressed juice, such as the fact that if you make it yourself, it's very time consuming and messy as hell in the kitchen, not to mention the limited shelf life of fresh juice. And even if you're buying high quality produce, it's likely that it was grown with suspect irrigation water and NPK fertilizers. I sometimes think about the amount of water in something like celery or cucumbers, for example. So unless I grow up myself or know the farmer, I'm not that excited about drinking it on a regular basis. And lastly, a lot of green juice just frankly tastes nasty. Not Organifi Green, though. With epic ingredients like moringa, ashwagandha, spirulina, chlorella, matcha powder, turmeric, wheatgrass, and beet powder, this stuff is not only power-packed with nutrition, but I gotta say, somehow they actually figured out a way to make it taste delicious, like really delicious. You might even be able to trick your kids into drinking it, it tastes so good. To swoop up some of this sweet green goodness, just go to Organifi.com slash Lifestylist. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. Organifi.com slash Lifestylist and use the code Lifestylist for 20% off any item in the store. And I love the breath being a real cue because that, mm. that really resonates for me when mm. I'm not breathing. I hadn't put that together that I'm probably not here in projecting some particular outcome that doesn't feel really, really good for me. Well, not only that, it's like a threshold, like you have the vitality of the body, leg of the stool that we talked about. So it's like, there's certain physiological things like eating junk food, yes. right? Not breathing correctly. Right. And you guys are familiar with some of the cranial work I do, not having that circulation and the, the, the central nervous system, having the fuel that it needs and the the oxygen. So uh, there's a lot of different things. It's a whole conversation we could have on like ways to set it up because I think some people are going to have mental issues where they're going to be focused on a, a wolf walking through the door, right? I mean, most of us and most of the people listening to this probably aren't having problems like that. It's probably more of that there's um, this feeling of not being enough or, you know, not being worthy, not being loved, you know, feeling alone. Right. And so these are the things that I think you were connecting with in the vision quest. And I've yeah. connected with some of the uh, experiences I've had. And, and so it's, 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 it's the fear of death, right. The fear of annihilation. Like that's what I got to at the very end, 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 end of like, okay, well, what does that mean? And I kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And I went into this incredible terror this was, I was doing breath work one night just at my, at home by myself. And I finally got to that deep, deep core. I'm like, show it to me, show it to me. And it was this, this fear of being annihilated. Like I am no more. Right. So all of these events that we might look at as say on the superficial, uh, you know, at face value, it's like, oh, well, that person looked at me strange or, you know, my, you know, my favorite grocery store ran out of my favorite food or something. It's like, we're, we have this anxiety or this fear, are they going to get it back? But when you start to look underneath that, like what's really driving that, that fear, right? And so, you know, I would offer that you have that type of work to do where you start um, realizing that you're not alone and, 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 and that we're all connected. We're one that you don't, you don't die. You drop your body, but you continue on and you, you drop that fear of death. Right. But then you start working on the vitality of the body. Right. And you start getting the body 
able to dive into the parasympathetic nervous system and enjoy it, right? Like swim in that and, and that, that stillness and like love it. You bring up for me this huge concept that I've been exploring this year and it's this allostatic load. So if I'm getting toxins from my environment, I mean, look at how many products that you use, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> our libraries are filled with products, but at the core of it, it's like breath, water, movement, sunlight, connection. These are all basic things. So when Luke was talking, all I could think about was bro, so much wisdom. And you've had 20 plus years of practice to like do the things to actually apply what you've gathered. And for embodiment to happen, there has to be a true ownership of this allostatic load. Like if I have deep trauma and if everything that comes at me is perceived as a threat, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter like how many biohacking tools I have or, or how many <laughs> no. supplements I, I use I on a daily red basis. Light works for that. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I'm, but I'm curious, like, cause man, you meet with people, some of the highest people in their games in their lanes, mm -hmm. they still deal with everything sure. that a housewife or uh, an everyday human being deals with this allostatic load. And, and it really came to me when I was coming home and I was at LAX, I had been in nature for like two weeks and people are wearing masks and they're shouting at each other. And I'm just like, I don't like coming back to this reality. This is not good for my allostatic load. <laughs> so, so I wonder if you could speak to that because, you know, in your book, God, you, you have so much wisdom about sleep and melatonin, but holy shit, the, the angles that modernity and that modern life throws at us on a continuous basis. It's almost like in our society, there's no room for healing unless we decide we love ourselves enough to heal. Mm -hmm. And the book is called Melatonin. Melatonin Miracle Molecule. Yeah. We just uh, came out on Amazon last week and hit the bestseller list. Let's um, go. Yeah. Because of my review, I left yeah. you. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Let's, let's get a little yeah. shot for everyone watching right now on YouTube yeah. and on Luke's yeah. feed. So, get your copy. Um, it's, um, it's a long, it's a big book. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in there. And, you know, one of the things I love about melatonin is that it's the primary supporter of the parasympathetic nervous system. So this entire conversation, um, is is really we could we could kind of dovetail melatonin into it because when we sleep we 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 go into this very quiet restorative phase and this is where the parasympathetic nervous system is most supported and and it flourishes and it gets strong right so it's your autonomic nervous system that has these two sides of it this yin and yang this sympathetic parasympathetic and heart rate variability is a great way to measure that um, for anybody that is listening to this, um, get a heart rate monitor, uh, or I'm sorry, get a sleep monitor, monitor your sleep. Um, I like the, um, aura ring, but it'll tell you what your heart rate variability is. And, you know, we're, we're obviously using, um, melatonin. Yeah, I've got, this, we is, all have this aura is my aura ring. Yeah, that thing that? has got some serious that aura. Was, that was blessed it's, by It's aliens. only about that's a 8, different type of aura. years old. Yeah, John, that's yeah. dope. Do you John's see the got gold alien one, technology. John? Yeah, nice. I have the black one. I went with Matt Black, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but tracking tracking your sleep and tracking your heart rate variability, these are metrics that I think are super important because sleep is more important than diet and exercise, in my opinion. You got to get that, um, you got to get that worked out. So you can take higher doses of melatonin to start actually supporting this dive into supporting your parasympathetic nervous system, this, this whole idea of dropping fear, which is cortisol, the exact opposite hormone in the body is melatonin. 
So melatonin and cortisol are like the two horsemen that are like kind of, you know, opposites. So, um, and that's what heart rate variability is really testing is the, is the balance between those two sides to your autonomics. And the other thing, the other thing I wanted to mention is when, when, when you were talking, Luke, you were talking about a wolf walking through the door, you know, or anxiety, you know, that something might happen. Well, your, your system doesn't know the difference. So if you were out in the woods and you're being chased legit by a, like a, like a bear, right? Or if you're sitting in your living room and you're thinking about, wow, what if I was being chased by a bear? Like the same physical things can happen, the chemistry, and it's very corrosive. It's destructive. Like in short bursts, bursts, it's, it's okay. It's healthy. We need it. But what happens is people get locked into a chronic state of this where their cortisol, and you can, you can do tests on it. We do these um, different adrenal tests where we can look at cortisol and how it, how it curves supposed to be higher in the morning, lower at night. And some people have an opposite bell curve where they're core. They don't have cortisol. I've had that before for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, you don't have the adrenal gland. You've, you've burned them out. You don't have the adrenal glands to make the cortisol in the morning. So there's nothing there. Um, so, you know, this, this conversation I think is, is an incredibly important conversation and it spiders into so many great other conversations. I want to touch on uh, what John was saying about the fear of death. I think this is, this is such a useful tool. And some of these experiences like vision quests and different plant medicine ceremonies, et cetera. But if you do an experiment, any, anyone listening or any of you guys, if you do an experiment about anything that you're afraid of and you just keep following the thread, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? Always at the end of that is death. You know, yeah. it's, it's this body we have, this nervous system and our psyche is wired into this negativity bias in order just to keep us alive. And what part mm-hmm. of it yeah. is us that, yeah. that, that wants to keep us alive? It's the ego, right? Mm-hmm. We think of ego as, oh, we have to get rid of the ego, smash the ego. We, you know, we're not supposed to have one, but without that, then there's no personal identity. There's no differentiation from consciousness or from other things. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like this beautiful gift we have is this ego whose job it is to tell us where the danger is and to tell that I'm different from you and from you and from the dog. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting thought game to think about something you're afraid of or having anxiety over, you know, say the check didn't come. You know, I was supposed to get that check today. It didn't come. Well, then what happens? Well, if the check doesn't come, then it it might not come tomorrow. What if it doesn't come tomorrow? Well, then next week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, I miss my rent, miss my mortgage payment. What happens then? Well, after a little while, they're going to kick me out of my house. What happens Mm -hmm. then? I'm going to, I'm going to go have to live at a, you know, one of my family members house. Well, what then? Mm -hmm. Well, then eventually they're going to put me out. Mm -hmm. Then what? Then I'm going to end up in a homeless shelter. Then what? Well, after a certain period of time, I'm going to end up on the street. Then what? Then what? Then what? I'm going to be attacked, you know, or I'm going to catch some disease, predation, something, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. It's like you can trace everything down to death, but what if we could just die right now? Meaning there's a saying, it might be from Greek philosophy or something. I wish I knew the origin of it, but if you die before you die, you never die. Right. And that's getting in touch with that part of ourselves that's eternal, not the personality, not the ego, not the intellect, not the body, not my life story, this artifact of a person that they call Luke, but 
what if I could get to the core, like that fear that night you had, John, of like, oh, the fear of non-existence. Yeah. I'm sure there are a number of ways to get to that. I've had many experiences specifically with 5-MeO-DMT, and I'm, I'm not telling everyone to do this. This is just my story where I've been like at the turning point of non-existence, mm-hmm. of having the opportunity, not for me not to exist. Really what it is, is the ego not to exist. You know, that part of ourselves that, that creates the identity that we perceive to be us. But the real us is sort of sitting there in those situations and when time is slowed down with, with the assistance of, of those different plant teachers, et cetera, or amphibian teachers. In this case. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Actually, I think a toad might be a reptile and a frog an amphibian. So say this reptilian teacher, that sounds weird. <laughs> um, we have enough reptilians in the world. <laughs> it sounds like but, David Icke. But really, yeah. But to be to allow oneself to be taken to the precipice of non-existence and and to then it's like a near-death experience, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, people that recount near-death experiences, their body dies for however long, but yet they're still there. They're observing this whole phenomenon, this whole experience, and then they come back into the body and and there they are with an ego again, right? But there's there's a part of them that is actually experiencing that. And mm-hmm. I've experienced that on a number of occasions where I'm like at this terrifying turning point, but my soul is not the one who's terrified. It's the ego that's afraid of non-existence. And if we can find ways to, to allow ourselves to pass through those gateways, those thresholds and really die unto oneself, what's happened for me that's been so life-changing in, in terms of this whole topic is to then reemerge and know that I actually died, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that part of me that's striving to stay alive, that part of me that thinks there's something out there trying to kill me or that if the check doesn't come, that I'm going to end up dying. And it's, it's, a, it's allowing oneself to experience those depths of beyond fear, existential fear, right. And, and being willing to say yes to non-existence, which is the, the most terrifying thing any of us could ever imagine. And it's absolutely the most terrifying thing to the ego. Mm-hmm. And in any deep work that I've ever been through, the part of me that is afraid and the part of me that doesn't want to let go and the part of me that resists the experience at depth is the ego. And playing with that and getting to know that and for me, building a loving relationship with that side of me, with the ego, and rather than trying to get rid of it, to actually get into alignment with it and agreement with it and a gratitude for it doing its job with absolute perfection to make me afraid of letting go because it wants to stay alive. And why it wants to stay alive is because its job is to keep me alive in this body mm-hmm. so that I can see the human experience as an embodied soul to its fruition and its final destination. So this idea of like all of these fears being threads of fears of death, what if what if we could just surrender the core of that fear and continually surrender the fear of death and, and let go of our attachment to being here in the way in which we experience ourselves as being here now. I love that. To let go of the need to exist. <laughs> it's almost like you're, you're going there. If you could just dissolve that fear of death, right? If you could just click your finger and say, okay, I know I'm going to continue on. And, you know, they've actually done studies with people where they found that they can legit, like, 
um, their, their, their consciousness actually leaves the body. Like there was a study I was listening to recently where the woman, um, who was, who was, um, uh, you know, known to be able to do these, these, these out of body experiences. And she, there was something that was written on the ceiling way far away from her that she couldn't read. And then when she came, came back, she was able to say exactly what was written there. So to basically to, to get, to do this, where you just absolutely know a hundred percent that you're going to continue on, that your awareness is going to, is going to continue and there's no fear of death. But then on the back of that, realize that it's all thoughts, right? That you're, you're, you're just the observer. You're going to sit back and you're going to watch the, the machine, which is the ego and the brain that's just, you know, it's not even real, right? It's just thoughts. That, that, that's a great recipe, you know, for I think the cure of this human disease that we're talking about. Yeah, and I, I to your point, Luke, I, I, and again, not, not for everyone, and I'm not encouraging everyone to go out and do this, but my experience with 5-MeO and psilocybin journeys, and, and even I'd, I'd say to a large degree, my ketamine experience have, have allowed me to let go to a large degree this fear of death. I mean, I, I, up until I, I'd say my first experience about four years ago, there was a, a real fear. I don't want to fucking die. And then the more I worked with these different tools, I, I just I started to let go of it and just understand that there's so much out there, you know, kind of, I mean, just what, you know, what you experience in those spaces, like I have no fucking idea what's out there. And you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. And so just to let go and surrender to whatever this thing turns into. And I, I'm with you. I, I'm a believer that, you know, there's reincarnation and the, the soul is the soul. What am I going to do about that? You, you have children. It's not, I want to reframe on everybody's, what everybody's saying, your children. It's not that you fear one day never holding them. It's that you would be sad that one day you would never hold them. Yes. So I don't know if it's really, a fear. I, I mean, for me, it was like four years ago on like ayahuasca six or seven, where I was like, oh, I'm actually not afraid of dying either. <laughs> I'm more just sad. That, and I didn't have Nova at the time. I'm more sad that I won't be able to make love or eat an orange or hold my son. It's, it's, it's honoring the sadness. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much more realism there for anyone on any level of their spiritual journey to go, okay, am I really afraid of, of death? Am I really afraid of dying? Or is it that I can actually just honor my sadness that one day, you know, you won't be able to hold Allison. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to hold my son. I won't be able to live this life. And so <laughs> there's, there, I think about this all the time. There's a, there's a deep yeah. sadness there that needs like genuine honoring. And in turn, and this is so fucking wild in turn, if I honor my sadness and I'm not trying to get away from it and I feel to the bottom of my sadness, there's really just gratitude that I even get to hold my son mm, that I, that I even beautiful. get to like rub, sit between two bookends of wisdom, you know, like mm -hmm. that is an extreme recipe for living life fucking well, if I can just honor the sadness about that. And in a way we all feel, I know we all feel that like, you know, I don't think we need to bathe in it or saturate in it, but <laughs> one day we won't get to podcast anymore. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that makes me sad because this is so 
meaningful. That's making <laughs> our, me super sad. Our right conversation, now, dude, come on. <laughs> right? We, yeah. there, there won't be any more unlearning to do because mm, we will have unlearned yeah. as much as as much as God intended. So, I, I think the reframe on that from a practical level is like, hey, every day can I meditate on death? I'm not saying we need to bathe in it. I don't need to like start my day going, I'm going to die, or maybe I should. Maybe I get to. But if I if I tell myself, okay, I don't know when I'm going to leave. Um, I'm going to hold my son. I'm going to be with him as much as possible. I'm going to do my work here in this world to be the best man I can be. And, and not in an intellectual way, like in a really embodied, visceral, somatic way. If I can love my woman, love my son, lean into the blade, cry together, whatever, whatever the fuck we need to do. Like that's living. That's mm-hmm. fucking living. Mm-hmm. Honoring the sadness is living. Being in fear is not living. That's and beautiful. That, that sadness. For me, I know exactly what you're talking about. There are times I, in, in a special moment with my wife, which is a joyful moment, you know, hanging out, just a feeling of connection, looking in her eyes. And sometimes I'll be overwhelmed with this, this deep sadness. Yeah. Because I know that those moments are fleeting and I know that there's only going to be so many of them. And you're, I love the falling on the sword. That's a great analogy. And these are the things I think so many of us and, and myself included at different times spend so much energy running away from, right? And at the core of that, what, what there really is, is there, it's an attachment to form, right? So there's that part of me that's limited to form that's sad about someday that form not interacting with this form and acknowledging that that's part of the way that we're made. And, and really feeling into that. And for me, it's just, it's, it's always just a letting go of attachment. You know, it's a letting go of that attachment in that moment. And that's the sad part is that I know that at some point, the attachment that I have emotionally to that person or that experience is going to have to be surrendered. It's, it's, it's all transient, you know, but then there's such a depth and a richness, as you said, of gratitude and appreciation, because in that moment, I have the opportunity to surrender that attachment, but actually still be present to the pleasure and joy and love that I'm experiencing in that moment in an unattached way. And when it comes to a relationship specifically, man, that's the, that's the golden key. That's the secret sauce. Because if I can truly be with someone and, and really be bonded in, in healthy intimacy and stay aware of that attachment and continually surrender that attachment. So much of the tension in that bond is released just by having that awareness. It's a sort of the, the division between infatuation and attachment and, and actual true love. Because true love doesn't have any expectations. Unconditional love has no conditions. It's not dependent on how many more of these moments we have to have or how you're behaving in the moment that we're experiencing together. It's truly unattached, unconditional. There's no conditions on it. And within that, man, everything gets really, really greasy, you know, smooth. It mm-hmm. moves. There's so much less tension and friction. Let's teach this in schools. Yeah. Yeah. It's codependency really. It's right, you're right. codependent yeah. on people, place, things, circumstances yeah. for your happiness, you know, and, and the other thing that comes up to me, Josh and Luke, with what you're talking about is this almost like this emotional maturity, right? It's like you have these things come up for you 
And it's like, you're like teasing it out to like, realize like what's really your truth behind that, that knee jerk, instead of going into that knee jerk reaction of, you know, oh, I'm sad. You know, I had a patient that, um, I was treating last week and, you know, this fellow had fly, flown in and as you guys know, I do this balloon treatment, right? And this guy just the had best this- ever. <laughs> this guy I had, remember the hotel room where you did it to me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was, that was I, our, I still haven't met. I still haven't done it. Okay. Yeah. So this cranial release using endonasal balloons is called functional cranial release. But I, so I did this on, and this guy was just beyond himself. Like he felt so amazing. He was so grateful. And he was talking about how he was having these moments where he would just start crying, but he wasn't really understanding like those emotions. He was pr- trying to process this. And, and I said, you know, I, I, I would offer to you that this was tears of gratitude, right? And, and I could almost put myself in that same place where I've been having tears of gratitude and I was kind of checking myself because like the body, the physical body is going through the, the sad program almost, right? On the outside, but inside, like I'm super joyful and grateful, but it's showing up with that, just that, that, oh, that emotion. And so how would you ever be hopeful to, to, to get that emotional maturity if you weren't able to dive into that parasympathetic, to that quiet, that stillness? If you were in high beta, you know, you're, you're adrenalized, you know, your adrenals are, you're, it's like, you're just going to immediately jump to that. Oh yeah, I'm just sad. I'm just this. And uh, so I, I just thought that was beautiful. And it, you know, the, the yoga of emotions mm. yeah, and the beautiful practice that you had mentioned about actually contemplating death. Uh, I actually did that in a, um, in a Buddhist Buddhism retreat one time. And I, it was an open eye meditation, which for anybody that doesn't know what that was, it's just basically just gazing into someone else's eyes for a long ex- extended period of time. And then just contemplating your own, you know, immortality, you know, as far as like the physical body anyway. Uh, and the tears were just rolling down in this particular, uh, uh, experiences I was, I was having. And, um, and it was really helpful. And I think that, um, that that could be a really good, like daily practice for someone, even if it's just for five minutes, like just contemplate death. It's easy for us to forget. I think we get caught up in the rat race and the tumultuousness complexity of this modern world. And, and then somebody wakes up and they're 79 one day and they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot to live. I forgot to fucking live. Yeah. I, I, never... I read a crazy tweet a couple of days ago. It said something to the effect of, you know, imagine your dad is 80 years old and you could hope that he's going to live till he's 90. How many times a year do you see your dad? Once a year. You're only going to see your dad 10 more times. <laughs> you know, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, but, and that would make one sad, right? Because of that, that, that natural attachment. But what if we could just be in constant acceptance and surrender of that reality and go, holy shit, maybe I could make it 12, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe in those 10, maybe it can really matter and I can be present, put my phone down and ask those questions that I've never asked before to talk about those things that are challenging to talk about, to resolve what might need to be resolved or just to express a deeper level of love and appreciation 
think these are the things my whole life I ran from. I mean, I was a drug addict just to not think about any of the shit we're talking about right now. La, 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 you know, mm-hmm. don't want to hear it. Don't want to think about it. You know, just living in that really in a purely survival kind of animalistic instinct driven place of just everything is about acquisition and avoidance, attractions and aversions, you know, everything's just threatening or you want it, you don't want it. Everything is based on that sort of valuation rather than just an acknowledgement of the the temporary transient nature of everything and flowing with that. But that requires a really open heart and a heart that's willing to just break constantly. Mm -hmm. How do you guys keep your heart open even in the deepest triggers? I remember once we were talking and you're like, my woman, I do everything I can to just never close my heart. And I was like, wow, that's a tall order, mm-hmm. right? The complexity yeah. of, of why we close our hearts is unique to each person, but. Nothing, wow. nothing, ever, nothing good ever comes from closing your heart. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> yeah. Know? What's that practice look like? Luke? Do you like just consciously as your heart's wanting to close, you just. Like, I think it's, it's building a practice of having that awareness when I start to feel that sense of resentment or even worse resignation, maybe of just not caring, like, ah, fuck her. I've really never gone there in my current relationship. For me, it's more like the first clue that I get from my nervous system that I'm threatened, right? It just feels attacked. And then any sense of defensiveness, that's that protective mechanism. And, you know, God-given natural mechanism of emotional protection, like it's, it's really catching it in its inception and starting to tune myself for, again, when my breath gets short, you know, things are getting tense uh, to really just allow myself to feel everything that I'm feeling. But there, I, th- I think we have much more of a choice of closing our heart than we give ourselves credit for. Because I catch myself often like, I should just walk in the other room and shut the door and like not talk to her anymore. But there's, there's a sort of a premonition before I actually act that out, I have the thought, you know what, I'm going to show her, I'm going to give her the cold shoulder, whatever kind of games you play. Right. And again, like through meditation and just mindfulness and spending time with, with oneself and building that witness observer perspective and living from that more of the time than living as the subject of it. There's an awareness of, of acting out those behaviors. First, there's like a feeling in the body. Then there's the idea, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that. (laughs) Right. And, and catching it before you do it. That's, that's my thing, you know, and going, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I just, re- and also it's just refusing. It's just a non-negotiable. I'm making a commitment, not to her, but to myself, because I'm the one that suffers when I close my heart. I have a commitment to myself and my relationship, no matter what happens, I will not close my heart. And I don't think I really have in, in, in the past couple of years that we've been together but that's only because I've experienced the pain of so many years of doing that and yeah. having that done to me. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, it's, it's that part of ourselves that, that wants to seize up and, and close and protect again, ignorantly the ego thinking that it's protecting me, but all it's doing is actually hurting me mm-hmm. in the process. You know, now that's easier to say if, if you're in a relationship, I think, with someone who, who is conscious and awake and has done their work also and, mm. and isn't going to take those opportunities of, of me not closing my heart and, and putting a dagger in it, right? <laughs> so there's a trust that is built, I think, in my relationship now where I know it's safe to not close my heart because I know and trust the person 
that I've opened it to. And, and I didn't have that kind of discernment um, in earlier in life, you know, where I know that it's safe. And, you know, even if there's like a little emotional storm that takes place, uh, usually not my storm, but if they're, if they're, cause I'm so cool, calm and collected, but seriously, I just hold, I don't know, I hold my emotions in a different way. And my storms are more about like, Oh, the contractor fucked up the tile. Like that's how I freak out. I don't really freak out because you know, what did you mean by that comment at the party or whatever, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah. when I feel the emotions starting to get hot, that's, that's like, that's when I lean in, that's when I lean into more love and more openness. And, and a mm. lot of it for me is my body language too. Mm. I really open my body. If a conflict is starting to arise again with someone who I, I deeply trust that I know is not going to take advantage of that openness. But if I start to contract my breathing and my body and especially my physical heart center, mm-hmm. I open my body language and I breathe slowly and deeply and I just take it in and I just remove any conditions to my love mm. and listen. Listening for me is everything. I mean, that's like if you're a guy in a relationship with a feminine energy being, you can solve 90% of your problems by just shutting your fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. Not because what you have to say isn't valid, but it's not time yet. It's not mm-hmm. time yet. Mm-hmm. The feminine, whether whatever type of body, gender it's in, the feminine heals by expressing what's inside, right? For me, when I'm more in my masculine, how I heal is by going inward and being quiet and thinking about what I want to process and how I'm going to work through it. So just getting that dynamic of that polarity between think and feel and giving open-hearted space to the feeling that needs to take place. And how I do that is by refusing to close my own heart, by keeping it open no matter what. Believe it or not, there are only a few nutritional supplements that I take every single day. So these are the critical vitamins and minerals we need for baseline health that are often difficult to derive from food. And one non-negotiable nutrient is vitamin K2. A vitamin K2 deficiency can cause major heart circulation and bone problems, including coronary artery disease, heart disease, bone spurs, kidney stones and liver stones, plaque in your heart vessels, and even major cardiac events. So I get my daily vitamin K2 from Just Thrive. It's the only K2 product on the market with 320 micrograms of pharmaceutical grade K27, which is the optimal daily amount. And K2 is not just a favorite of mine. There are a grip of scientific studies proving how beneficial it is. For example, in 1990, the Rotterdam study looked at people from eastern Japan who consumed high amounts of vitamin K2. More than 4,800 plus participants were given 50 micrograms of natural K2 on a daily basis for more than 10 years, and the results were insane. The participants showed a 50% decrease in cardiovascular events and mortality, 25% decrease in all-cause mortality, 25% reduced risk for dying from any disease across the board, and a 25% increased rate of living longer and healthier. Really cool stuff. Vitamin K2 supports healthy heart, circulation, brain, bones, and nerves. It also encourages healthy blood sugar levels and maintains healthy arteries. It really is a critical nutrient. And right now you can get 15% off on everything that Just Thrive carries, including K2. Get over to justthrivehealth.com and use the code LUKE15 at checkout. That's justthrivehealth.com and the code is LUKE15. Yeah. I love the fact that you, it's like Tony Robbins would call that a pattern interrupt. 
Right. So like, yeah, the, yeah. The emotion came up and then you had, um, physical cues that you would do, which is when you were talking, I was thinking in my head, like, how do I handle it? And similar, you know, like the breath opening the, the, the chest up. Um, one of the things that, um, I would do a lot of, um, early, early on was, you know, would almost like pull my fists and hands in like this and just extending my wrist and extending my hands, you know, for me, that's a good cue to like kind of relax and then focus a focus on other people, you know, uh, with gratitude. Right. And so taking the focus away from me and like, what does that mean to me? Or, you know, it's like you, it's almost selfish, um, self-centered, uh, idea. Like if, if, if something you feel is being done to you, right. Or nothing, nothing's ever really being done to you. Right. So you're interpreting that reality with an internal filter and it's things that happen to you over the course of your life and experiences that you had that form our filters. And then we project those things onto other people that are really just triggers to our own filters, right? So we have the, the, the ability to respond, uh, however we want, you know, it's, it's a, it's, 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 it's a personal decision that you make, um, if you're going to close your heart and it's based on, um, these filters that we, that we have, that we've built from children and possibly even from generational stresses. And it, for, for those of you listening to this, that don't believe like in the, you know, they're talking about generational type of, you know, stressors or emotional. Well, think about this. Um, and this is what really got it for me as I, I have, you know, I have a dog like yours, like, um, mine's an Australian shepherd, but like she was, I got her as a puppy and she had these traits right out of the gate. And I'm like, how did they, how did she learn those traits? Right. And you look at animals, they, they come right out of the womb and they seem to like already know what to do. Right. So there's, there's behaviors and, and emotions, all that's wired in, you know, to, to us animals, you know, from the, and it's passed on generational. And so there's things that have happened to our ancestors, terrible, terrible things that are wired into our DNA so that we could survive down the road. So good. I, I have to go. So I have good. to tell you this. Like I was having this conversation yesterday and it was with a friend and I said, you know, it's so fascinating to me how some people could refute the emotional epigenetic transfer of our lineage and our pain. Everyone knows <clears throat> if someone's born with type one diabetes, it's not their fault. They got it from their genetics. How could you argue that physiologically we get passed on things from our lineage that we also don't get emotional things passed on through our lineage? There's really no argument, you know, there, there could be an argument for this. And, and a, and a really quick story that brings this home is this on the quest. I buried my father, but I didn't bury him from any, any fuck you energy, or I hate you. I've done a lot of work on my dad. And I, when I buried him, I said, I'm burying you with kindness. I'm burying you with kindness. I've tried. You still haven't seen my son. You've made no attempts to see my son. And for all the people out there that have had really challenging family experiences, sometimes opening my heart looks like me opening my heart and crying and admitting to the person that very, very well may try to stab me again as an act of closure and saying, all right, I'm bearing you with kindness. And this is how the generational trauma stops with me. Not because I'm special, not because I'm the chosen one, 
but because fuck, I have the awareness of it. I'm not better than my father. None of us are. There, these conversations we're having were not had in the 60s and the 70s. They were not had. So when I buried my dad, I, I had a ceremony and I cried and I, I kissed the dirt and I buried him and I said, I'm burying you with kindness. And the only way this is going to heal our family, because it's on, it's on both sides. My Italian side, there's a lot of trauma. My English side, there's a lot of trauma. The only way that this lineage is going to heal is if I take the ownership to bury it with kindness. But it doesn't happen like that a lot. Sometimes families end because someone will say, well, fuck you. And it was an argument over a hat or something, you know, Mm -hmm. and there'll be 40 years where people don't communicate. But it's different when you bury something with kindness, because when I bury my father with kindness, there's an open door for him to come home and be kind back. Mm -hmm. And that's a way that we heal this generational stuff. You could could read Mark Wolin's work. You could explore family constellations. You could look at Richard Swartz stuff. But at the end of the day, like the decision to heal isn't coming from my parents or someone else. It's coming from me. It's my decision to bury it with kindness and leave the door open. But also, and this is a big one, keep my heart open and protect the young man and the child inside of me that I don't knowingly put myself in line of fire with someone that's going to disrespect my open heart, with someone that's going to stab my open heart. So I buried him with kindness. And honestly, it was another 10 pound lead vest. You know, I'm here when you want to be kind, but Mm. I'm about to be 42 years old. I don't have room in my way of being for family or friends that are are going to knowingly hurt you. I'm really, even after you've admitted Mm -hmm. it. I'm glad you added that caveat. And I want to emphasize when I'm talking about not closing my heart, it's with the discernment, the earned wisdom and discernment to know who is safe uh, to do that with and, and who's not right. Yeah. And, you know, you don't always know that people have their moments, right. Even the best of us might harm someone, um, that trusts us, but yeah, that, that discernment is super important. And, and the, you were talking about the codependency, you know, mm-hmm. finding that self-love and self-worth is the only way that I've been able to feel the safety and security to open my heart and also to have those type of boundaries where, I don't just, cause I, I, I didn't know what a boundary was most of my adult life because I wasn't taught that and mine were invaded so repeatedly as a kid in so many different ways, as many of us have experienced, but growing in maturity and growing in that self-love is the way that I've built boundaries. And those boundaries are, are different for different people, depending on our level of intimacy and depending on how much trust has been built. But once trust has been built and I know that it's safe, then that's when I have that sweet opportunity to deny my ego of the temporary pleasure of trying to punish someone or shame someone or shut them down or, you know, what I used to call putting them in an ice cave, you know, (laughs) back in the day when I was less conscious, if someone I was in a relationship with did something I didn't like, I would literally be like, I'm putting them in the ice cave. Like I would intentionally become cold and closed off to hurt them because I was so hurt and I didn't know how to process it. And I didn't know how to have a better method of selection and, and, and have, you know, different degrees of, of intimacy that I was willing to explore with people. Mm-hmm. That's, but that's, that's so, so important. I think for people to build an awareness around is the, the boundaries, man. And, and codependency, man, is so prevalent. And I used to kind of being a recovering alcoholic, if somebody talked about codependency, I was like, Psh, yeah. You guys are weak sauce. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? it's, like, it's kind of a thing. And, you know, and pe- recovering addicts and alcoholics are like codependents. They're like the weak people that we 
you know, trampled over uh, when we were drinking and using. But I, I think that addiction is really largely rooted in codependency because sure. how we relate to our environment and our experience and other people, some of us find relief, albeit temporarily, in numbing ourselves with drugs and alcohol. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the trap of addiction. You're so codependent that you have to anesthetize yourself to blunt the sharpness of how much your inner experience is dependent on the external life that you're experiencing. Mm. And then you, and then for some of us, you get sober and you think, Oh, I'm all good now. It's like, no, now you're just a raging codependent. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, but it's not funny, but but it is funny. Cause you can become addicted to anything. I mean, dude, give me anything that has a potential for addiction. And if I don't watch it, I'm going to get addicted to it, including Ah. human beings and and the feeling that certain human beings give me, you know? Well, this is why I love being a podcast host because this isn't, this isn't, I mean, it is for the people listening, but for me, I do the podcast. So I get the nuggets and I've already picked up stuff, particularly this, this practice of, you know, having this meditation practice about death. And then on the other side of that comes just a deep gratitude for those people in my life. And because of that, it's going to, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that it's going to be much easier for me to keep an open heart when I'm in those tension filled situations, because it isn't to your point, it's not as simple as just turning it on and turning it off. There needs to be a practice. And mm-hmm. I can see what, what, what you share, Josh, just like really sitting with death and, and owning that and then feeling that sadness and then allowing that to really feed into just gratitude that we get to experience these people, all the things that we get to. It just, that feels really, really powerful for me. So thank you for yeah. And and surrendering, like you were talking about the addiction to stress, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of of conflict with other people, we have the opportunity in that staying open-hearted, right? And not wanting to win, um, even when you're right. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, there's a, there's a juice that we, there's a juice, there's a nectar that, that the ego gets out of conflict and out of winning and being right and showing them and teaching them a lesson. And I'm not going to be, the, I'm going to keep the upper hand, right? There's yeah. all, all these false perceptions. It's around. a bath of self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, ag- acknowledging the perceived benefit in that and how we're milking those emotional interactions and roller coasters thinking we're getting something out of it, you know? And there really is like, I, I know so many times I experience I'm, I'm on the edge and I see the temptation of that thing, you know, of that feeling that I'm going to get. And that's, that's like that. It's a precipice. It's a turning point at which I have the opportunity to surrender my attachment, my addiction to that feeling that I think I'm going to get, you know? And then it's like with, with just a choice of words in a conflict I'm thinking about now, you know, in just a choice of words and just the energy with which I express those words Something that could have turned into such a shitstorm can be so quickly and easily diffused into nothingness, and it's just back to love, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, but what I'm what I have to let go of is that it's that juice that I'm getting out of the fight and the win and yeah, being totally. right and you know putting up my defenses and you know, all of those games. It's just 
it gets to be almost comical to see what the ego goes through just, <laughs> just to stay alive. Cause again, back to yeah. that, what it's afraid of is dying. And when the ego feels wrong, then it feels less than, then you're more than, then I'm on my way out. Yeah, totally. You know, like you, going back to Twitter, it's like, you look at people bickering on Twitter, right. With all this indignation and self-righteousness and one-upmanship. And it's just like, you can just, you watch like the war of the mind, right? This mind is attacking that mind and back and forth they go. And it's, it's so in, entertaining and engaging to my mind <laughs> that I'll actually watch them. I don't engage. I'm a little bit above that on a good day, but just the juice I get out of like the drama, right? It's like, all it is, is just a bunch of egos fighting for survival. Mm. Well, here, here's a thought experiment, right? To your point, Luke, we, we, we get to in those situations where we want to be right. And, and when we quote unquote, win the argument, how do we feel right after? It's like, ugh, that hung over. Yeah. Yeah. You're like that. I, I got what I wanted. I proved myself right. And now it's a complete shit show. It's, it never delivers on what we think it's going to, yet we still engage in those practices. Dude, think about how much domestic violence and even domestic violence that ends in homicide that starts out with you didn't do the dishes right. Yeah. And it could have been squelched right there. You know what? Maybe you have a point. Yeah. I'll see if I can do a better job mm -hmm. next time. <laughs> I mean, just think about how, I mean, that's just in a domestic situation, but think about world affairs, you know, how this plays out on the grand scale because you have people as Josh described that are, have jostled their way into positions of power that are still operating from that base nature. And mm -hmm. these guys have their fingers on the trigger. Like, Putin, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, all, all of them. You yeah. know? No, it's true. I'm, I'm ready for the big purge. I don't know about y'all. Yeah. I'm ready for the big purge. <laughs> I don't welcome violence. I'm not a violent person. But don't you all feel somewhere in your soul that we are as a collective society, as a collective consciousness, we are kind of wobbling our way towards destruction. And also how beautiful is that destruction? Because what's going to be after the destruction? Mm. I mean, it's, it's a fucking wild time. You know, there's talk of food and firearms and war and all this famine, and there's still beauty in this world. So it's the ultimate duality. You know, I've, I've had people on the yeah. podcast like, oh, the, you know, non-duality is a thing. And yeah, that's true. Inside of the singularity, there's, there's a dark and a light. That's why the fish eats its tail in the yin-yang. But I am welcoming in my lifetime, and it's not from my ego, it's, it's from my soul. I'm welcoming this, this war to have some type of a culmination, this existential war of consciousness where everyone's trying to have the most missiles, the most this, the most that. We are so childish. We are so fucking childish. And I will own that that childishness lives inside of me. You know, that, that's really, I think, where we are. And, and the more conversations we can have like this. I mean, my, my dream is that somebody listens to this and they're like, wow. I'm going to sit with my friends and we're going to speak about these things that matter as well. How amazing that would be and how much healing that would be. Also, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, there's this collective, there's this collective um, consciousness, right? And yeah. so us getting out on a platform like this and, and talking like this, sharing satsang, um, that's important and more people need to do that. And one thing I'd like to circle back on what you were talking about your father when you were on your, uh, on your uh, vision quest and you had released him. And one of the things that and we were talking about um, um, generational uh, emotional stress and trauma that is passed on 
Um, there, there are absolutely these traumas that are passed on, and there's also traits that are passed on, right? And so there's a way that that your grandfather raised your father, that your father took to raise you, that created this less than loving relationship, right? And so then there's the kid that's like, you know, oh, you know, I, if I don't get my peanut butter and jelly sandwich from my father, I'm going to die, right? Or whatever they make up, right? So this idea that the father, you know, because the father issues, this is like the main male yeah, you know, I know. It's, it's I the I've core had core wound for the masculine, yeah. well, or for the, just the man or the, or the woman. Yeah, for 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 a lot of people. Yeah. So I think it's an important um, subject to touch on. And so the idea that we're looking at our father, that you know, well, he didn't love me, right? And he's a bad guy, and he did this, and he did that, and he made me, you know, the way I am, or he made me sad, or he made me afraid. Well, so it's, it's the filters that were passed on, right? And when we start to sit back and look at it from that viewpoint, that it's these, these thoughts and ideas that are filtering reality that then are giving us that response, that emotional response, those are the things that need to be forgiven. That's true forgiveness, right? Versus I'm going to let my father off the hook because he did all these things to me, made me feel this way versus like, oh, wow, I've got these internal filters. Maybe I've got some filters that I inherited. And what are those? Let me like sit in some quiet, you know, meditation or, you know, go on a a vision quest and understand what those filters are and then deeply forgive those. In other words, we're going to acknowledge them in, um, in a mindset of love and acceptance and gratitude. And it dissolves in that, in that sense. And this is the work that my, my friend, Michael Rice has done a lot of with, um, he wrote a book called why again, uh, and you can find him at whyagain.org. Why is this happening to me again? I think was the full book, but it's this whole idea of in the original Aramaic Bible, what Yeshua or Jesus literally came to teach. When you look at the original scripture, what he really said, and it, it interpreted based on you know, basically factual interpretation is this idea of forgiving those filters and, and the projection of all of the projections is what's making things. It's what it's, what's creating all the hostility, right? And so this hostility is coming up because people aren't owning their truth. And so I would offer that, you know, if you are having issues with your father, that you start looking at you know, what is that bringing up for you? Right. And then taking ownership of that and then living that, making it bigger, swimming in it in gratitude and love, and it'll dissolve. And maybe it won't happen the first time, but you do this, you know, over time, it's going to soften quite a bit. And then that's how you dissolve that so that the kids don't pick it up and it's going to squelch the generational glitch. Right. So all of that's going to, going to be improved. You know, it's something that's rad is finding <laughs> there's so many things that I are can't, rad. I can so curious but what one thing that's, say. One thing that's super rad is exploring the pain that we've experienced and specifically the perpetrators that were at, uh, you know, at whose hands we experienced trauma and this is tricky to say because I'm thinking about, okay, let me just be more specific. 
when I was a kid, I was um, groomed and abused by multiple pedophiles. And it colored my entire life and really destroyed me, you know, as a, as a kid um, and, and as an adult in many ways. And there was these different stages of reconciliation and facing that and feeling that and finding my way through it, which I probably still am in some ways. And there were these stages of forgiveness, right? Where I would kind of put myself in their shoes and imagine their generational trauma. And it probably happened to them and all of those things to just kind of create a framework where it made some fucking sense. Mm. But through those different levels, and this isn't to condone any behavior, but rather to find a way to not condemn the soul of the perpetrator, right? So mm-hmm. condemn the actions, the behavior, but the soul behind that, I mean, this is going to get super far out at the different levels, but at the next level from the forgiveness is as I've grown to love and accept myself and, and really cherish who I am as a person, as a man, you know, with, with a lot of the kind of work we're talking about, I've explored the reality that I wouldn't be the person that I am today sitting here that I actually am beginning to like and enjoy a little bit. You know, it's taken a long time yeah. and it's a slow process. Had I not had those experiences, the, the generational stuff, the shortcomings of my caregivers, the, the abusers, the perpetrators, not to say that I would invite those scenarios back into the experience again, or that I think it should have happened or shouldn't have happened. But the fact that everything that did happen happened and made me who I am today, I find solace in that. I find peace with that only because the chain of trauma and dysfunction is being interrupted in the lifetime that I'm living now. I, I'm very consciously aware that through conversations like this and conversations within my own heart and mind, that that system within my family and my inner circle is being interrupted and it's not continuing on. And so that takes from me so much of the blame and resentment that I've had for people in my life that I, that have harmed me or people that I've perceived to have harmed me. It's just going, man, that was all necessary for me to get to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And I would, I think have less depth to my, uh, my experience, you know, less empathy, uh, less uh, depth to the degree that I can love people and care about people and just, the empathy that I have for suffering, right? Mm. It's like when you've, when you've really explored your own suffering, then there's just such a deep level of, of empathy and compassion for other people. And out of that is born this desire for service and this desire to help purpose. people heal. And yeah, a sense of Pain purpose. purpose. So it's yeah. like, I don't know, maybe if those things hadn't happened to me and I had this idyllic, you know, leave it to beaver mm-hmm. nuclear family life. I mean, maybe I would have had a good life, but may, perhaps the impact positive impact that I'm, that I'm learning to have would have been, uh, to a lesser degree, right. I might've been happy just, you know, working a nine to five, coming home, watching football, eating a burger, going to bed, repeat, 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 but having this thirst for God and this thirst for understanding and this thirst to take that understanding and, and to serve, I think is born out of that original seed of suffering and all of the suffering from 
the ancestors that came before me in the lineage. That perspective is so beautiful because mm. you've got the perspective on um, your own evolution, which has been enhanced by that, right? Your pain to purpose, right? So we have these struggles that we deal with through life and then we figure out how to solve them or we adapt to them. And then we, we, we learn and we, we, we were able to contribute to other people. Right. And so then the other thought that I had while you were talking is the, this idea of how do you really, how do you get past like some of the trauma some people have had? Like, I mean, to be sexually abused, like uh, it's unimaginable. I, I, I didn't, I don't have that story. Right. But I've had friends that I've, I've, I've heard stories that are just incredible. I mean, like fathers sexually abusing their daughters multiple times with the brother watching and the mother knowing and just crazy, crazy stuff. Right. And, you know, I've actually been in a place of support with a number of people like that. And, um, I think that this conversation is really relevant with that because it's, it's a perspective aspect of the perspective of how that's improved yourself, but also the other flip side to that is how do you view that other person and soften that, that hostility that you have towards them is understanding that they have their own filters, right? What created someone's mind to get to that point, how miserable they must've been to do something that awful. And is that their true nature and realizing that all of our true nature is love, right? This is our true nature. And so when someone veers off of that, it's not, that's not them. That's like these generational traumas that are showing themselves. That's like all of these experiences that are creating that filter that makes them just so terribly uh, suffering that they're going to do something that awful. And when someone that has gone through something like that starts to look at things from that perspective, I think that that's a really important aspect of healing through something that severe. It is, it is so easy to intellectualize this stuff. Like we are afforded this beautiful space to mm -hmm. have this conversation. But if someone's watching and they're present with us, just know that like what I'm about to say might seem esoteric, but I've, I've heard it from so many masters, ancient and contemporary. If God wants to experience God's self in all forms, then in some way, the abuse was an act of God. Otherwise it wouldn't have occurred. Mm -hmm. And there's an ultimate mystery there that is a beginning path for peace. I'm not saying you have to be at peace with it right away, but just knowing that there is a grand mystery to this universe and the meaning that Luke made, where if the things didn't occur in the way they occurred, he wouldn't be able to hold people in meditation. He wouldn't be able to be a podcaster. He wouldn't be able to be of service. And the cap is, you know, I think about John Wineland losing his daughter and he said, well, my wound is where I serve from. That's where I serve from. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's the ultimate meaning of the mystery. And we are meaning making machines that we can take some solace in and begin the, the peaceful path. You, well, just, you just solved the, the uh, atheist biggest gripe, which is if there's a God, why, why does evil mm. exist? <laughs> well, it you makes, know? but this right, is, right, right. I, I always got to bring it back to Bufo and I, you know, <laughs> sorry, bring it sorry, back to Bufo, bring, bring it in, bring in the reptile. Back I mean, to, the to, ha to have, <laughs> to have even a brief experience of, of true non-duality, uh -huh. right. Where you're really not there anymore in the sense of being a single expression of consciousness. You're just in the 
great scheme and web of omniscient consciousness, right? In those moments, on multiple occasions, I've had, and it's something that I've carried out of that experience and integrated, is really seeing that, and it's so, it makes it so trite to even try to describe it or talk about it. So I, it's embarrassing because it's like, but if you've been there, you've been there, you know, I, I guess I just have to own it. Um, <laughs> I, it's not like I went there, I was taken there, but in terms of like, why does evil exist? This was such a fucking huge relief to me. Okay. If, if, if God is this eternal everythingness, right. It's just everything all at once, which is kind of what the experience of Bufo and I'm sure other potential human experiences have. Imagine that there's, that all there is, is you and there's no other. So therefore you can't experience yourself because there has to be other, right? So in mm-hmm. order for God or consciousness or creation to have the experience of itself, it weaves this vast tapestry, such a broad spectrum of what we perceive in the world of duality to be good and evil, dark mm-hmm. and, and light, right? It expresses itself as everything, every potentiality all at once including the pedophile and the serial killer and the rapist and the mass murderer, the Mao's, the Hitler's, the Stalin's. It experiences itself as all of that. And to Josh's point, so that's all God. So you can't take anything out and go, okay, this is good. This is evil. And the good is all God and the evil's not. If it's experiencing itself in that way, the gift that that provides us is this broad spectrum of consciousness as an incarnated soul where we have this school with this depth and and width that allows us through our karmic propensities. Some of us are driven more toward one end of that dualistic expression than the other. But imagine what a gift it is to be in a world where we have the potential to be the most depraved evil perpetrator of harm and destruction all the way up to the angelic realms of a mystic. And, and you can do that if your karmic propensity leads you to that in one fucking lifetime. I mean, most people, we we probably don't, but the potential, the potential's there, right? Mm -hmm. Like meaning the world doesn't need to change it doesn't, we don't need to eradicate evil because it's set up perfectly as an earth school. And if we didn't have the opposite end of the spectrum and have evil, then there would be nothing to work with. We would be in There's a no contrast. Yeah. We'd be mm-hmm. in a celestial angelic realm. And maybe those realms exist somewhere else. I have a feeling they do, but we volunteered and signed up to come here because we have that great expanse of opportunity to progress. It, it like the world couldn't be more perfect. And, and that thing right there is what helps me with the pandemic and, you know, the pedophile rings and just all the crazy yeah. shit in the world <clears throat> that I think oh, I got to go out and change this. I have to save the world. I have to change the world, the environment. It's like, no, it's all exactly how it's supposed to be. How do I know that? Because it's the way it is. And it's, if it wasn't that way, I wouldn't have the opportunity to grow. We would just all be at a single level. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you wanted the world to be utopia, it would be like, you know, postgraduate student going back to kindergarten. It would just be easy and there'd be no opportunity for growth and expansion and elevation of consciousness. But since there's such a broad scope of consciousness, 
we get to play in there and we accept mm. the consequences of every little thought that we, that we have and every deed or act that comes out of that thought. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then everything gets pared down to this. I'm sorry, this is no, my no. favorite topic. Roll. It's like awesome. Then everything get, gets pared down to this razor's edge, right? So it's like, I can monitor each thought, each feeling, each behavior, each word, anything I do in this play of reality is going to have the consequence, the instantaneous karma loop of the decisions that I make. And going back to like not closing my heart and punishing and uh, uh. so this is the gift of free will. You wouldn't need free will if there were no choices. Mm. <laughs> we have to be given choices. Therefore, where I'm arriving at this moment is that all of the evil in the world is supposed to be there and that God did in fact create it all and there's nothing, there's nothing that's not God. Out of all of the incredible healing tools and gadgets I have around the house, there aren't many that I use every day. One brand that consistently makes it into my routine is Higher Dose. I usually start my day on their large infrared PEMF mat, which combines the powerful technology of infrared heat with PEMF for an incredible recharging experience. PEMF, if you don't know, stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field, and it works by sending electromagnetic waves through your body at different frequencies to help your body's own recovery process. It's uh, relaxing while energizing at the same time, which is incredible. So I use the smaller mat here in the studio since it fits comfortably in an office chair or on the sofa and the regular size mat for meditating or napping. You can also do yoga on the big one if you were so inclined. And I'm also a longtime infrared sauna user, but they can be both bulky and expensive. So if you don't have the budget or the room for a full-size sauna, the higher dose sauna blanket is a game changer. It's portable and super easy to use and store when you're not using it. You just turn it on, put on some cotton clothing, wrap yourself up like a burrito, and sweat like crazy. The sauna blanket's got an amethyst layer to deepen the benefits of infrared, a tourmaline layer that generates negative ions, a charcoal layer to bind any pollutants that come out of your body, and a clay layer, which is balancing for the heat. So this is really cool stuff, and you can snatch yourself your very own infrared sauna blanket or PEMF mat at higherdose.com today. And if you use my exclusive promo code LUKE15 at checkout, you'll save 15% off. That's higherdose.com, D-O-S-E. And the promo code again is LUKE15. You know, I think about when I imagine these angelic realms and we just live there, well, okay. So that becomes the baseline. So it, it's just is, and there is no contrast where we get to experience that real open heartedness. Like if that's all we did, like that would become the default. Mm-hmm. And then we don't get to really have that experience. But one of the things that, that you were uh, touching on Josh, that I loved is this idea. And I brought it up before about the, the wounded healer. I mean, that's the one who carries the real medicine. You get to share that with others, you know, and, and beyond that, what I really loved about what you shared is you took yourself out of victimhood and you took ownership of your life. Not that you, you know, called this in necessarily, but that you're able to, yeah, it's just like, it's, when we play victim, we're just at the world's mercy. Totally powerless. Yes. There is something to be said here too. You brought up uh, the ancient Bible earlier mm-hmm. and with what Cal and Luke just spoke about, it's already written in Isaiah 45, seven, 
I learned this from really? my mentor, Paul. Yeah. Mm. Isaiah 45, seven, I, the Lord create good and evil. I, the Lord create light and darkness. I, the Lord do all these things. Think about what's being said there. I might've butchered it a little bit. You can look in the new King James version, but, but, but the words, the energy of what I'm saying, whether I use perfect words or not is there. If God through God's word in the book that has been translated over millennia is saying, I, the Lord create good and evil. I create light and darkness in Isaiah 45, seven. How could anyone with a Christian faith deny the fact that all is God, even the evil? If God, God's self is saying that in the new King James version. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if this, this mic wasn't on a stand. I would drop it for you. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. You know, it, it's, it's this whole idea of, of um, projection, right? And so if, if I were in a, in a place of projecting how I feel and put projecting it to a people, place and things outside of myself, um, and I were to look at the evil in the world and want to have a good excuse of why there isn't a God or there's no divine force creating this reality, then it would be a lot easier for me, right? Yes. Because, because I'm going to basically, um, I'm going to look at all of these negative things as, um, a projection of this is making me unhappy. This is creating host, you know, hostility within me or whatnot. Whereas when you start to really appreciate the, um, the idea of, of, of owning it and that it's filters and what, what we're perceiving reality, I think it, it, it softens the idea of this concept that we're talking about. And, you know, I'm an artist, so I think about painting. It's like, how boring would my paintings be if I just did white color? Like I didn't, you know, it's like, you don't know, you know, or, or food, you know, I'm thinking about cooking. Like, how would you know a great meal if you never had a really bad meal? No doubt. Right. And so, um, you know, the, from the place I sit right now, it makes such clear sense, but I know there's people that are out there that are listening to this, that it's going to take you a little bit of time for this to sink in. Um, but I think with enough, enough contemplation and, and start, start thinking about things in the terms that we're, 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 we've talked about a little bit with regards to the projection, right. And that nobody's making you hostile. Like these are, these are your own filters within yourself. Right. And then, and then start thinking about this idea that, that there has to be this, this, um, this black, if there, you know, you're not going to know black versus, you know, if there's no white, there's no light, if there's no darkness. Right. So it just has to be that way. And it's perfect the way it is. Mm. I, I love that uh, thing. You've, you've mentioned this a couple of times of someone else not being able to make you feel something is a really great communication tool that, that I use. And I just observe uh, in relationship dynamics, well, you make me feel this, you make me feel that. And that, that's a really good one to learn how to surrender and let go of. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking yeah. as you were talking, John, I was like, I wonder right now if I could make John feel anger, if I could make John feel joy. No. No one can make me feel anything. I can't make anyone else feel anything. It's that filter. I like you keep using that yeah, word, yeah. right? It's like, I take a look on your face or 
something from your emotional body, your body language, your posture, your words, the tone of your words, the cadence of your words, my filter takes that. Mm -hmm. And then within my own being, I'm creating the feeling that is called rage or called ecstasy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like that sense and back to the victimhood thing. It's, it's taking responsibility for my inner state, how I feel. One tool that Michael Rice shared with me, that is really cool, is um, when that comes up is instead of saying, hey, you're making me angry, right? Instead of that projection, it's more of enrolling your your partner, your friend in, hey, when you do that thing or when you say that thing, it's bringing up some things for me. And I was wondering, would you support me through this? You know? And, and basically like, yeah, yeah. it's like a, yes, that's good. <laughs> but you have good. to regulate your nervous system and have the practices to be able to articulate that. Otherwise you're going to be like, stop fucking telling me the trash isn't <laughs> yeah. taken out or whatever. Know, totally. you know, like, so, yeah. so do, go take a deep breath, yes, you know, yes. relax and then circle back and, you yeah. know, Hey, when you did that thing, you know, so that's, that's the, the, the witness consciousness, right? When mm-hmm. you have two human beings that have a little practice at that witness observer perspective, then an interaction like that becomes so different because of, and it's all in, in the verbiage, right? I mean, and the verbiage comes from one's understanding and awareness and perspective, but like, let's say you and I have a conflict and you, you know, made a, what I perceive to be a snide comment about my work, right? You're like, well, I listen to that podcast and you know, it's whatever. I could communicate what I'm feeling by simply saying, you know, John, I want to talk to you for a second. Can I I be honest with you? Do you have a moment? Can I just really tell you what's on my heart? It was really interesting. I observed when you made that comment about my podcast, I felt this sensation in my body. I started to feel 10, you know, you describe whatever the feeling is, right? It's like acknowledging and taking responsibility for what I'm experiencing. Whether or not you were being a dick or not actually doesn't matter. Because imagine if you're walking down the street and there's a, a mentally ill person and they start berating you and, and calling you names, it's like you would probably just feel uh, compassion for them. Oh mm-hmm. man, poor, poor guy. You know, it's like, ah oh, man, he must have some problems, right? But when we have the, you know, a deeper level of, of intimacy and there's, there's more trust there and I know you, then I'm going to take your words to mean more than that insane person, even if you're just as insane as they are, yeah. right? Because I'm going to create a context around it and I'm going to create meaning out of what you said. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't matter if what you said was meant to be hurtful or offensive or not. So Will Smith, if you're out there watching this, uh, listening <laughs> yeah. to this. First of all, give us your address. We'll ship you some feel to, free. To yeah. respond to, uh, to Chris Rock, right? This is an alternative, some tools. Yeah. If he would, if, imagine if he would have grabbed the microphone and done the nonviolent communication framework, right? How that could have shifted the world. And that, is yeah. that nonviolent communication? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've heard that word. I'd, I've always curious. Nonviolent communication right. is where you you mm-hmm. first reflect, mm-hmm. then you say, you know, like John Gray tells us this on your podcast and mine. Shameless plug. Listen to Luke and my interview individually. I've with learned John, so much from that with guy. John Gray. I mean, oh, oh my god, dude. So and then after you have after you have validated their emotion, you say, hey, you know. Okay, tell me more about that. Then you provide empathy. Mm-hmm. The third phrase is, it must be really challenging. It must be really challenging for you to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that can like solve, like Luke was talking about, 99.999% of conflict. But mm-hmm. there has to be, I mean, just like breath work or anything, there's just, there's gotta be this groove. We have this mutual friend and, and she talks about like the axons and the dendrites and the neuroplasticity. We're half beast, half spirit, y'all. We can't just read a book and hold it up to our partner. Like I've got to actually wear this 
nonviolent communication in my physical body, and then I can provide it to my partner or my people. So there's a key differentiation between like, you know, us sitting here and talking about this in my prayer, like my ultimate prayer is that I can embody what I'm saying, what you guys are saying. That's mm-hmm. my ultimate prayer, especially in the state of trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's when, that's when the, the default programs and the grooves that are created in the brain, they tend to take over. That's what makes life fun. You know, is you, you learn about some of these tools and then you get busy applying them. Practice, right. And you then practice. you, you just like you, you forgive the transgressions of other people or how you perceive them to be. Also, when we fall short, I mean, that's, what's fun is just kind of going, oh man, you really <laughs> fucked that one up so much for Mr. Nonviolent communication. You know, <laughs> you just got totally passive aggressive, tried to punish them, but it's, it's, you know, it's, I think oftentimes, you know, when we, when we want to be like a spiritual person, we're focused, oh, I need to be more compassionate, loving, yeah. understanding to other people, which is really short lived and short sighted. If we're not learning how to do that with ourselves, I think that like that ongoing spontaneous self-forgiveness is what makes it possible. Like you said, to understand we're part spirit, part animal yeah. is to like pat the animal on the back and go, man, thank you, you know, for helping me be such a dick in that last interaction. I know you were doing your job, but there is the higher <laughs> part of myself that's going to now forgive you yeah. and we're going to move forward and, and we're just going to keep, you know, steadily improving. And, and also, man, noting the wins, you know, not letting it go to one's head, but uh, this is a practice for me that's been really slow is actually stopping to just honor myself for when I do things well, you know, when I did take a higher consciousness route or diffuse something that could have potentially um, become volatile, et cetera. I think like those of us that are working on ourselves, as I'm assuming most people listening to this, you know, we're always kind of looking for the next thing. I need to work on my anger issues. I need to work on my phone addiction. What's I mean, my attachment style? Yeah. It's like, you know, we're always kind of, you know, as David Hawkins said, it's one of, I mean, I could quote this guy all day long, but said spiritual aspirants and seekers are often looking at the big pile of coal in front of us that needs to be shoveled. But very few of us look behind us at the fucking mountain that's already been moved. Mm. You know? And so there's a, a dance there of not patting yourself on the back. I mean, I did all the work. I'm enlightened. I'm done. But like, yeah, man, if you look, any of us, you guys sitting here, anyone listening, I mean, look, if you're working on yourself, look at where you were five years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a fucking infant emotionally, especially mm-hmm. in relationships. I mean, yeah. oh my God, just patterns and trauma and just dysfunction and just nuttiness. And it'll probably be so that when I look back at 51 year old Luke sitting here today, five years from now, I'll remember this conversation and go, oh man, look at you, <laughs> you know, look at, you know, whatever in a loving way, just, oh yeah, you were full of shit in that part. And mm-hmm. you know, whatever, I'm trying to front you do, you know, whatever games I am playing that I'm not aware of in the moment. Right. So it's like that striving for humility, a realistic appraisal of who and what we are and a desire to get better. It's a, a paraphrase of Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA, you know, it's like, man, just owning your brilliance and your beauty and your love and honoring yourself and also going, yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's some nooks and crannies that I could, I could work into and start ferreting out some of those things that, that are not of the highest part of myself. Yeah, dude, it's, it, uh, giving, you know, I had Adam Roa, our friend on the podcast and huge takeaway for me was just giving myself grace. Yeah. And, you know, he used the analogy of, you know, Cal, you used to run a 10 minute mile, you know, in your relationship. And now you're running a six and a half minute mile. 
But if you don't give yourself grace, every time there's a misstep, you take on all the things you've done in the past that haven't been good Mm. versus, oh, look, I actually recognize this 10 minutes after it happened versus six months later, it gets brought up and I wasn't even aware of it. And I think it's just, yeah, yeah, I love that you brought that up, Luke. And and just to, to think about how far we've come and that we are just on this you know, exploration, this journey of trying to better ourselves. And there's always going to be, you know, new levels, new devils. There's going to be new things that come in that are a challenge for us, but we've, you know, we've all, and I think everyone listening here, they're, we're intent on, you know, working through this stuff, but it's, it, it, it goes hand in hand with giving us, you know, ourselves grace in those moments. One prayer that I've been saying a lot, um, that I've felt during the quest was, uh, I just put my hand on my heart and I say, God, what do I most need to learn and how can I be most humble to learn it? Mm. And if we could ask ourselves that and just make that part of our prayers, God, however, however you relate to God, like God, please show me what I most need to learn and how can I be most humble to learn it? Because when I'm humble, I might look back at the mountain of coal and feel good. But when I'm not humble, all I'm doing is just striving for the coal. I'm just more coal. Oh yeah, I'm shitty. Oh, I, I, and then, you know, this, the shame spiral kicks in. So, you know, whatever faith anyone has, and, and this goes to people that travel the world, like Jason Prawl, who, who did the documentary where they went to the blue zones, right? Faith, higher power was like part of the equation to live to hundred and beyond. So if I don't have some kind of prayer to God, whatever God, not a bearded dude in the sky, but we, we need to, well, we don't need to, but I feel for me that having that prayer of asking the question and also how can I be humble to learn it? It brings me all I ever need all the time. Mm. <laughs> it's constantly bringing me humility. <laughs> I'm humble all the time. And um, I'm probably the most humble person in this room. I just want to stay mm, for the right. Yeah. Cookie's pretty humble. <laughs> Cookie's pretty humble. <laughs> you guys humble. get that? You guys like didn't yeah. know I was joking for a yeah. second. No, I got it. So, so look, we're, let, let's, we'll come in, we'll, we'll land this one. Um, there's a few things that I wanted to hit on. Luke, you just did a podcast before you came over here. And it's around the, is it Leela Quantum? Leela Quantum Tech, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, for practical purposes, when people see my quantum block, is that an infinity block or? Yeah, there's the quantum block and the infinity block. The one you have is three levels. That yeah. one's the uh, infinity block. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what exactly is it? I think Josh and I both have. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, that's from there too. Capsule necklaces. This yeah. is the Leela necklace. Man, this, this stuff is so interesting. All right. So it's challenging for some of us that are more uh, analytically uh, leaning and, and skeptical to acknowledge that there are technologies that work outside of the realm of the senses in the quantum, like in the world of wave, pre-matter, pre-particle. So there are devices that are able to enhance or transmit or uh, increase quantum energy, just life force energy, right? And I believe that to be true. Uh, and I believe that the Leela stuff does in fact do that. But it's really tricky because, because companies, brands, devices in that realm 
are using energies that you can't uh, interpret with your senses, there's also a lot of room for snake oil and bullshit. You know, little silver quantum stickers that go on your cell phone to help with the EMF. And, you know, some of them might work. Most of them probably don't. So I'm always like weary of stuff that's like quantum because it just inherently means that it can't really be proven. But on the other hand, like, how can you prove love? Like you just, I look at my dog. I know I love her. Could I prove it? No, I feel it. I just know it's love. Right. Uh, So Leela quantum tech has uh, figured out a way to sort of imprint different physical devices with quantum energy. And so the thing you have, the quantum block, essentially enhances the field of consciousness in your environment to varying degrees, depending on your proximity to the device. So some of the things that you can do with it is uh, harmonize the EMF fields. I mean, after the conversation today, I was almost like, maybe I could have Wi-Fi in my house if I have that thing there. Uh, really. And I'm super EMF aware slash paranoid. Um, <laughs> Didn't you paint your floors with like a special paint? I so made that all of the bedrooms in our house are Faraday cages. You're in like a Faraday yeah, cage you, when you work. You walk like, in that's and Luke. your shit is dead. There's no yeah. signal. Um, it's all ethernet. But, but anyway, um, having worked with this particular brand um, and their stuff for the past couple of years, I'm absolutely convinced that it's legitimate and has the desired effect. So what you'll feel subjectively with that thing sitting on your desk is just a more harmonic field, um, more inner peace, more vitality, energy, clarity, less interruption of the chaotic discordant fields of EMF. So there's two ways to deal with EMF. One is you block it, right? And that's possible, but then your stuff doesn't work because you're blocking the wave. But waves um, of EMF are very chaotic and, and discordant, right? They're not a harmonic wave. So some of these technologies can actually harmonize those waves and make them more biologically sympathetic or compatible. Uh, What's interesting about those guys is that they're constantly doing studies and research, um, double blind studies, all sorts of stuff where, for example, they'll do live blood cell analysis with a a blind study. So they have a participant that's kind of immune to placebo because they'll put a Wi-Fi router on the other side of the wall in the other room. And they take that person's blood, they look at it in a dark field uh, microscope, and their blood might look pretty decent. Then they turn the Wi-Fi on right next to them. Then they take their blood and their blood's all coagulated and misshapen and super shitty and unhealthy looking. Then they put the Leela quantum block in the room with the Wi-Fi on. They take their blood again and their blood's beautiful, better than it ever was before when they first walked in, you know, so all sorts of Mm. ways that they're kind of, they're observing the effects of quantum energy in the physical realm thus proving that it's having a beneficial effect. So I kind of am very weary of, of things like that, that don't have some sort of, you know, empirical data that indicates that it is in fact having a positive impact. And in their case, they're, they're nuts. They also work with the um, nuts in the best sense. I mean, they're like really into the research. They've also done some really great research with the uh, Emoto Institute in Japan, Dr. Mm. Masoro Emoto since deceased his run Uh, His son, Hiro, uh, runs this lab now and they do things with water where they flash freeze it and photograph the water crystals um, to detect the impact of different environmental influences. And so those guys, uh, they shipped them some of the Leela stuff and they were so impressed that they actually want to start selling the devices for them in Japan because they've never seen anything that has that kind of positive and instantaneous impact on water and your bodies are Mm. on a molecular basis, about 99% water molecule for molecule. So, um, so I'm a huge fan of Leela. That's why I wear this necklace all the time. And there's a lot of these like 
quantum necklaces that are supposed to block EMF and stuff. And some of them might work, some of them might not, but this is one that I really enjoy because they can show you some proof. So <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool stuff. Someone comes over to my house, I pour them, uh, you know, some water through my vortex or, and then I put it in the, the infinity block. Yeah. And they say, what are you doing with that? Char you're charging that water with quantum energy. You're energizing that water. You're bringing vitality and life force into that water. Perfect. Absolutely. And, and, so stru and structuring the water. Like you have your water in structuring unit, right? So water um, will have varying degrees of order, ordered water, which is structure, the way that water would behave naturally in nature, unimpeded by human or industrial influence. So your water structure is probably already doing it. And one could guess that you're adding um, a, a deeper layer or a further level of order to that water by then putting it in the Leela. But I put all my, not all, I mean, sometimes I forget, but most time if I make a smoothie, a drink, a bone broth, coffee, water, food, I put it in there for 30 seconds before I eat it. You might be able to achieve the same thing by just praying over it too, you know? I, I was going to say, like, what about quantum entanglement where we've all experienced this? You're thinking about someone and all of a sudden, bam, they, they, call. they text you or they mm. call you. Like, how do we, how do you explain that? that There's no explanation for it, yet it occurs pretty frequently for me. Yesterday, I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing Philip from Leela Quantum tomorrow. I better listen to one of his recent podcasts and get up to speed. Press play, sit in the car. Two seconds later, he texts me. Huh. I mean, there's a little, maybe, you know, the fact that he's coming the next day, the probability of him texting me is more likely than someone I haven't seen in 20 years. But yeah. I mean, this kind of stuff happens to us all the time. And, yeah. you know, think of how many times that happens and you don't actually make the connection. I, I'd be curious. Those events. I'd be curious if you, if you prayed or you put the quantum on your altar and you specifically with pure heart intention prayed for someone. Dude. And what, would that intensify your prayer? Well, one thing that you can do with those blocks too, is you can put intention in them and you can also put photos of people. Like when my dog was sick, Philip told me to do this. And like, this sounds nuts. And, you know, I don't know how much this contributed to her healing when she had this tumor recently, but I printed out a little photo of Cookie and I put her in that quantum block and it's actually still sitting there. And I also put an intention uh, related to uh, revenue that I put in there too. <laughs> Use spirituality mm. to right. make money. But, that, <laughs> right, like, but that, is, that is something I'm working on. But because of that quantum entanglement yeah. um, that, you know, in the, in the quantum realm, there's no such thing as distance. So my dog sitting right here and her photo being in that block at the quantum level, they're both in the same place. So mm -hmm. it's like, I'm having her in there because there's an energetic frequency imprint of her in that secondary location. You know, one other way to look at it too, is like, for instance, we do a lot of stem cell therapy in my clinic. Right. And so we may take bone marrow, which is a common treatment that we might do for rotator cuff or a spinal injury or whatnot. And, um, we laser it, right? So we, we laser it, which is kind of charging it up. And, and so laser, you know, it's not a physical thing, right? It's just pure energy. So this is another way to imprint energy, you know, into a physical, you know, physical matter. And, um, I was thinking about, because we have a, a, a friend in common, all of us is Khalil, right? He uses these at his smoothie shop. So they put the, they put the smoothies, you know, in the, in the Layla. So, um, I had when last time I, um, I went to the smoothie shop and, and after talking to you about the technology, I was thinking about, you know, what is the potential if we put the bone marrow, you know, 
I'll, I'll ask Philip. He told me something interesting today in that you don't want to put pharmaceutical medication in there, at least, you know, you could put an aspirin or something like that, but the medication would be potentiated mm-hmm. to unsafe levels yeah. poten- potentially. That, that or you do an IV and the IV tubing goes through right, the Layla, right? right? And so like we do ozone therapy where we ozonate blood, you know, and we run it through a, a box that imprints like UV B and red light and ultraviolet and all these things that really charge up the blood before it goes back into the body. So I, I think that there's a lot of room for advancement and, and our further understanding of ways that we can enhance health through some of these technologies. And, you know, I think a lot of doctors may listen to what, what's being said here and really, you know, I think this is really foo-foo. And, you know, if it wasn't for the things I've experienced to know that this is legit, you know, this is a legitimate conversation. It's actually uh, very real science. And it's been proven. And, uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, anybody that might be listening to this, that's skeptical, um, you know, you start thinking about, you know, Wi-Fi is not physical, right. But you know, it works because your phone works, you know, when you're not connected. So there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of information that's all around us. And that information, you know, is, is, is there, and it can be, um, uh, and it's going to land on basically like a receptor, right? So it's like our, our, each one of our cells has a cell membrane and that those are receptors. So it's like life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And so when you start running these frequencies and these different currents and these different energies through the cell, and it, it influences the way that the cell is going to adapt to stresses. Basically, it's, that's the, the secret to health, you know, is the adaptability of the, uh, of the human. This is why I have hope for humanity, because the more people that are doing conscious prayer and conscious connection, the more that things will change, just like the monkeys on the island, right? The monkeys on the island, half the monkeys, there was 150, 75 of them started washing coconuts, but they were miles and miles and miles away from the other monkeys. And then wouldn't you know it, the other monkeys through this quantum started washing the coconuts because they could eat more. So it's like, it is scientific. And this, this is why... It, in, in my, from my perspective, we don't have to try to change the world externally, right? It's like we do the work ourselves, elevate one's own consciousness and, you know, the rising tide rises all the ships. I mean, this solves the whole social justice warrior problem. <laughs> mm, hopefully. <laughs> you know, clean up your fucking room, you know? I'm not like a huge Jordan Peterson follower, but I, I like the fundamental... I mean, I, I'm not a not follower, but he's not like my guru or something, but just that one message from him, like clean up your room that has such, um, deep implications, you know, of just taking care of oneself yeah. and the hundredth monkey, the quantum entanglement. Once there's a critical mass of enough human beings with elevated consciousness, the duality that we live in will reach higher levels, right? And we don't know if we'll have the same contrast, but there definitely be an elevation of consciousness because there already has been, you look back on the dark ages, you look back on, you know, the Viking hordes, the inquisition, like all of these um, times in history where, um, you know, even, and this is going to sound weird, but from mass murder, slavery was even an elevation in consciousness. Right. And then we hit a point where everyone, well, many people in the world, it still exists, unfortunately, but most people can agree like, yeah, slavery's not cool. Right. And there'll be a time at which, 
So many of the things we experience now, we'll be looking back on going, oh my God, we were so archaic and brutal. Remember when we used to yell at each other on this app called Twitter or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And, and it is. I'm, I'm firmly with you on the hope for humanity and also knowing that the only way for us to get there is for each of us to just do the work within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Imagine like if, if you could just, you know, put ayahuasca in the water supply. No, I'm kidding. But um, imagine what a different world it would be if people were healing their generational ancestral trauma and the trauma in their own life. Just imagine the the lesser degree of reactivity and um, hostility and, you know, egregious behavior we would experience as a society if people were just individually one at a time inspired to do their own work and their own healing. Mm. And that those hundred monkeys over on the other Island are going to catch it, whether they want to or not. Yeah. It'll be in the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hot damn. That's a um, John. I got to say, uh, uh, what I call you, John, this is exactly I, which who are you point. talking to no, me or Cal. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I think in my phone, you're John Callahan. Um, you guys both have great hair that goes up. Maybe he, yeah. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to confuse. Yeah. What I was going to say is I know what you're up to with the, these, these balloons and the feel free. As I've been talking here today, I'm getting looser and looser. I'm like, this is your secret weapon for podcast. Buddy, come you're on. Like, yeah. You're getting, Wait, you're, Lindsay, we have to cut this part out. You're getting your, your guests, you're getting your guests loaded <laughs> Dude, we, and lowering their inhibitions. We haven't even talked about Mitozen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, know, so I got to go there. I got a, one of John's products in my butt right now. Cool. And don't take that the wrong way. Okay. So that's where we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. By the way, we'll, 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 we'll have, that I did want to touch on that as well. Products. I said products. Yes. Clarify. <laughs> we will link Not to, digits. to Leela, uh, quantum, your um through your site so Lindsay, we'll make sure we'll do that um because you have a nice little code and everything so we'll have that in the show notes so i do want to wrap up with a red lights mm-hmm. and kind of the benefits of that you obviously um they're called metalites mm-hmm. okay uh and then how can people work with you yeah so um we hooked you up with, with some panels, right? Nice. You got it on the cart out here. You've been using it? Yes, every day. Yeah. How's it feel? Great. People ask me about it. I'm still like, uh, kind of, I need, and just like with the, with the water, I put like, I need a little, little elevator pitch. Uh-huh. John, tell them about getting the red light on your nads. Well, it enhances testosterone. Like with that mini light that I gave you. Hey, you know, you've what been do you, why is it going to be mini down in the private? See, <laughs> see how John does it. Just because I'm Irish. He raises your testosterone with the red lights and then convinces you to put things in your rectum. <laughs> just, really the, good. The just, long just, con. just to clarify that we, we, we manufacture suppositories. So, um, uh, the, the red lights, you know, so red and near infrared light penetrates, um, through the skin. So our skin is designed to protect us from the sun. So not a lot, um, crosses through deeper into the body, right? So, but the near and infrared light does, and that light is used by um, um, something called a mitochondria in your cell. So this is where we make energy. And those mitochondria have like, the main job is to move electrons. They call that the electron transport chain. In the process of moving electrons, it produces energy, right? In the form of heat that the body then uses to make this currency of energy called ATP, right? So those, there's four proteins inside of the mitochondria that move the electrons. And the fourth one that's just really critical is 
is called cytochrome, cyto cell chrome light. So literally we are designed, our energy metabolism, the way that we um, are able to do all the work in our body relies on light to, to perform. And so we make that light naturally. We actually make red light, each mitochondria does. Um, but we don't get enough near and infrared light. Um, you know, we're not out in the sun enough. You know, a lot of us uh, may live in uh, areas where we're not getting um, enough of that as well. But, you know, we had a conversation earlier about, you know, you know, could you just go out in the sun for a couple hours every day? Well, certainly that's going to be better than nothing. But A, a lot of people don't have the time to get out in the sun. And, you know, if you work like I do, I mean, I'm at work at like eight, you know, eight 30, you know, there's not really a lot of sun in the morning. And then I'm, I don't take a lunch. I'm literally like working all day, but I will get in front of my red lights in the morning for 15 minutes, you know? Um, so what, what the red lights are doing the re, it's really good for your skin, right? So it's very helpful for your skin because it's support, it's supporting the energy in the skin at the skin cells but it's the blood that's running through the capillaries in the skin that gets activated through the red light that then carries that energy throughout the rest of your body. And NASA originally did a lot of the research where they were able to show um, a lot of health benefits um, and also um, some life extension applications with, with you know, use of, of red light. Great. Uh, and where can people buy the Mito lights? So mitozen.com. Um, M-I-T-O-Z-E-N.com. We have the uh, Mito lights there. We have a few different um, options where there's a cart that you can buy where you can put the lights on. Um, you can just buy one panel and just hang it behind a door. You know, that, that would be a good place to start. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, another really interesting thing to consider with that is the um, methylene blue. Right. Because you have, there's, there's a substance called methylene blue that super enhances this energy. Um, and it happens to, um, um, have some really amazing, uh, research behind it. You know, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but, the uh, the product that, that they can uh, refer to our earlier podcast, we went deep on it. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the Lumital blue, you know, and uh, by the way, you crushed it with that product. Those things are so freaking awesome. Yeah. I, I did one of those yesterday and, um, I had so much energy. And I'm only doing like the 60 milligram ones. These are, yeah. these are the, what are they called? Luma? Lumatol blue. Lumatol blue. Yeah. These are the suppositories for you guys listening, which sounds weird, but it's, it's really not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can listen to John's prior podcast on the great unlearn. I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. talked about that, but just, you know, rather than trying to mega dose methylene blue to get that slow drip as it's mm-hmm. going into your bloodstream without having to go through your digestive system, they just work, dude. They give me so much energy. And also the antidepressant mm. kind of mood elevation. It's like amazing. If, yeah. if you want to be in a happy mood and have mm-hmm. a lot of energy, I don't know of like any type of supplement that does that. They've done huge human studies on depression with methylene blue, like large ones. And um, the, the company that was doing it was trying to patent some process where they had lithium in combination with it. But I, I think the results might've even been better without the lithium. Um, but point being is that the results were incredible. And I, I would agree when I take, uh, methylene blue, uh, I feel really happy, really upbeat, really optimistic. There's no side effects. Like, uh, can women who are pregnant or is there anything from like a safety standpoint that we need to talk about? Well, you know, anything, <laughs> you know, 
you almost anything that you look at, it, it, it's going to be a contradiction if you're pregnant because there's just okay. unknowns there, right? Yeah. Um, there's actually one study that that was done with um, with methylene blue with pregnancy, and the researcher came out and thought, and they stated that um, it's it's safe with pregnancy, right? But online, there's 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 just controversy. So my opinion is, you know, unless it's absolutely necessary that you'd have to take it, you know, why take, why take the chance? There's probably very little risk. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you don't want to take it with SSRIs. Um, and you don't want to take it like if you're doing psychedelic medicine, you're taking heart openers or something like that. Um, anything that's going to kind of work on serotonin, um, you could have what's called a serotonin storm. So you probably want to avoid it, you know, kind of that day at least, but the day before the day after, um, I've actually got heard a lot of reports back that it's a really good, um, um, blues remedy. So it's like, you know, the, the, the blues that you get from some heart openers, uh, doing some of these uh, journeys, you know, can be quite profound. So things like uh, methylene blue might be something to consider. Mm, great. For recovery. And then, uh, remote coaching, distance coaching, are you, is that opened up? Yeah. So we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, remote and distance coaching. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, maybe, you know, folks are interested in kind of understanding a little bit more of what, what we do and what we're up to in advanced rejuvenation in Sarasota, you go to that other podcast, but, um, we, we offer distance coaching. And so, um, that process involves us, um, evaluating each individual going through, um, and performing labs, um, so that we have a good idea as to where people's status are. And then, We'll um, have them um, be retested when necessary. Usually like every month we do a more thorough kind of reevaluation, but we, we put together protocols for them, you know, specific protocols. And then they have access to um, contact us regularly so that they can stay on point, you know, and these um, coaching plans run from three months to six months to one year. Great. Great. And uh, you changed your Instagram handle. I did. And what is it now? Remind me. It, it's doctor spelled out Mito Zen Perfect. at well, Instagram. And we'll link to it in the yeah. show notes. But yeah, that was, that was the Luke suggestion, right? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was hard to find him. I kept trying to tag yeah. him. I'm like, he has yeah. three companies plus yeah. his name, his last name. <laughs> I always have a hard time spelling. <laughs> L-U-E. I always think lie. Oh, is that the trick? L-I-E. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Not, not that he's a liar. No, but yeah. that just, I always yeah. spell it out when or I'm lie down yeah. and relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate more parasympathetic. that. There you go. <laughs> nice. Josh, where can people find you? Uh, my Instagram, which I'm taking a huge break from. Don't go there. Go to wellnessforce.com or you can go to joshtrent.com. I'm, I'm rebranding myself, which is kind of fun. It's an interesting place to be. I love it. Actually. I'm like, there's a new part of myself. that's coming from a deep place of not trying to be a showman or showboat. And just like, yeah, joshtrent.com. Cause that's the only thing in this world that won't change is me mm. until I die. So joshtrent.com go there. Perfect. Wellness, wellness wisdom podcast that we've all shared space on. Yes. Dude, this has been so amazing. Thank yeah. you, Cal. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. being here. Thank guys. you for, thanks being for coming into town. This, uh, you really are ever since I met you a year and a half ago, you're, you're just this kind hearted connector. You know, you, that's one of your geniuses is you have this ability to, to connect people and, and to bring out the best in people. So I appreciate the space you have. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I love that. And Luke Story, where are they going to find you? Uh, LukeStory.com, S-T-O-R-E-Y. And all my 
I got a web store there with all my recommended products, mm-hmm. all the stuff that I explore and experiment with. And, um, and I also have a blue blocking eyewear company called Gilded. I wear them at night when I you watch do? TV. Oh, you yes. got some? Cool. Yeah, cool. yeah. Right on. Yeah, I finally got some samples so I can uh, turn my friends on. But thank you for buying them while my you're pleasure. waiting for the free samples. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a huge advocate for uh, light hygiene. So I'm, I'm really big on the no blue light at night and found a pretty fashionable way to do that. And then uh, my podcast is The Life Stylist. And I've been doing that for... Almost going seven and a half years. Damn. Yeah, which is just my, I don't know. I just keep going. I just keep doing it. Sometimes I think, do you, mm. should I still do this? But it's then fun I sit, though, right? Yeah, but then I sit down with someone brilliant and I go, oh my God, what if I hadn't had that conversation? You know, so it's a vehicle for my own growth and evolution and get to bring a few listeners along the way. And you were just uh, given an award for your podcast oh, as well. Nice. You? Yes. You know, I, I was, I don't know if it was an award, but I was featured on the cover of podcast magazine last That's week. That's amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. Cool. You it, deserve it, was, it. It was nice. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's when you have podcasts, especially like, well, at least two of, you know, like you're doing your intros and outros and kind of doing the behind the scenes recording work that isn't the interview that everyone sees or hears. And, um, you know, sometimes you think like, is anyone listening to this? You know, like who am I reaching? What impact is it having? And then you hear from people that listen, they go, Oh, thank you so much. I learned this and that. And I get a lot of those messages, but there's not really uh, an industry per se for podcasting. So to get recognition from, you know, I guess one of the officiators of that industry was really sweet yeah, and helped me kind of think, all right, I'm on the right track. Just keep going. You know, yeah. it was nice, especially because I've been pretty outspoken since the beginning of 2020 about my opposition to the, um, the largely accepted narrative around current events. And I, I probably lost a couple people along the way. Cause I just thought it was bullshit from day one. Actually it took me about two weeks to figure that out. <laughs> I, I did wear a mask for like two weeks. So what's going on? The people dropping dead in China supposedly and all that. And then after that, I was like, wait, hold up. This makes no sense. Um, so that was nice also, cause I'm, I'm not really a mainstream podcast, even though it's fairly popular show. I definitely like took a turn there, but uh, it seems like there were enough people that came along that they threw my ass on the cover. So it was cool. Amazing. Congrats, yeah. man. That was fun. Yeah. Well, great boys. We did it. Oh my God. See, this is the Amazing. kind of conversations I want to have. Like if the four of us were just hanging out, we would probably have the same conversation. Yeah. If we kind of had the discipline to say, Hey, let's sit down and have a conversation. It's true. But imagine well, th- th- this is like a common conversation that we'd have at dinner. Totally. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's nice. I much prefer this over like going to a huge party where you kind of chit chat with a few people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be able to get to know folks and experience their gifts and share yours. So thank you, Cal. I appreciate mm. it, man. Yeah, thank pleasure. you, Cal. Thanks, Cal. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining me on the first ever Lifestylist Quadcast. I trust that you were at least entertained, if not inspired. And if that is in fact the case, please do yourself, our illustrious guest, and yours truly a favor and share it with a friend. And before we part ways, I'd like to invite you again to check out Dr. Matt Cook's upcoming Peptide Summit, which you can find at lukestory.com slash peptide summit. And if you are someone who's been peptide curious, I can guarantee that this video summit is going to answer every question you could ever think of and more. lukestory.com slash peptide summit. And finally, let's give some big ups to our incredible sponsors. 
Uh, these guys not only keep the studio lights on, but have each up-leveled my personal game with their next-level products, and I am more than happy to promote them to you. First up, we've got UpgradedFormulas.com, then Organifi.com, JustThriveHealth.com, and HigherDose.com. I think with those four, man, you just about got everything covered. You got your minerals, your greens, your probiotics, and of course, your infrared therapy products. So thanks to our sponsors, but most of all, thanks to you. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.